0: Hello, Alan. Hello, Joe. Good to see you. Um, First of all, thank you for this, this uh, piece of pyrite that's embedded into stone. And um, we we just started talking, I said, just don't say another word. Let's start talking about this on the podcast because this, it kind of, it's interesting. I started your book, which um, I very rarely read books. I mostly (laughs) do audio books, but uh, I was forced to read yours. But uh, one of the things uh, that I, I found interesting is the concept of what is natural. And I've, I've gone over this many times myself. I'm like, poison's natural. Like, everything's natural. Computers are natural, really, because they come from the ground. They're made by people. They're essentially like, you know, a, a human's version of uh, anything like a bird would create, right? Yes. Birds create b- birds' nests. Are those natural? But this pyrite—this is pyrite, right? Yep. Which is fool's gold, right? Fool's gold. But it's— naturally in these cubes in these this this square form this perfect these perfect angles which you would never believe you would I, think somebody left this shit there I, I didn't believe it it
1: looks like it looks like aliens left them yeah and they're even in like what that's called is it's in the matrix oh wow so sometimes you can just get the cubes they're just the cube but they call the rock that it's in the matrix which i think is Dude, kind, of, that, kind of
0: appropriate. That is going to have a permanent spot on this desk with all this other oh. craziness here. Thank you so much. That was really cool. I did not know that it came like that. I found pyrite when I was a kid in rocks, you know, when they call it fool's gold. Oh, Jamie's going to bring that up to you there. Um, Perfect. Fool's gold, but it's, you know, it's usually like specs and flex and stuff. There's another one called, I forget, they're called like Illinois Miners Dollars or something.
1: This is another form that pyrite takes. I, I'm kind of obsessed with weird rocks, um, but they look just like sand dollars, but they're gold. Like oh wow. They look like they're golden, and so these are you know. I think one of the things I actually changed my mind over writing like over the course of writing this book.
0: Oh, there they are, Jamie pull Yeah, those. that's those, crazy. They're incredible, right? What it, what causes it to take on these different completely unusual forms? So I tried I tried
1: to find out there's like a local rock store where I live and I asked the guy and apparently I don't understand how it works at all but the way all crystals work is they have different kinds of structures and the way those structures come together determines whether you know it makes like a quartz crystal or what shape it
0: takes um, it's very it's it's very surreal yeah, I think it's honestly very this yeah. is very bizarre I did not know until you gave this to me that that existed Yeah, I, yeah the, and this is so like for me I went into this book, like you said, right, with this question of what's natural.
1: There's some people, like, uh, often scientists, who will sort of scoff at the idea of naturalness, right? They're like, everything's Mm -hmm. natural, right? Humans are natural. We're animals. We made all this stuff. We made the microphones. We're all made out of space dust. Everything's natural. It's stupid to distinguish between natural and unnatural. And honestly, that's where I was when I started writing the book. I was like, I'm going to make, I'm going to show this as a stupid idea. I'm going to I'm going to be Richard Dawkins, <laughs> but for naturalness. Right. But I, I, I was wrong. <laughs> I don't know. What, uh, was,
0: what shifted it for
1: you? Well, so one of the things like with that pyrite, right, people ask, is it natural? That's the first thing they ask. Does this occur naturally? Right. And it's an important question because there's a difference, like a sort of profound difference between knowing that that was just spewed up by the earth forces that are not human. Right. Versus humans sitting down and deciding to make a cube, right? It's like a diamond that, mm. that has been shaped by millions of years of natural forces. And what I realized is that it really does make sense to distinguish between naturalness and unnaturalness. You, you have to. Maybe it's a, it's a spectrum, obviously, right? So it's not an easy binary. But New York City is not as natural as Yellowstone. right? And, and what I realized was I wasn't really against the idea— of naturalness or even valuing nature, right? I mean, we'll ta- hopefully we'll talk about, it. I went back country in Yellowstone. It was unbelievable, you know? I mean, everyone values naturalness in certain ways. It was worshiping nature that I had a problem with. This idea that the more natural something is, the better it is, or that what we need to do, like if you wanna raise your kid, right? You gotta raise your kid naturally. You like, you know, let them piss in the corner or, or like elimination communication. Do you know about this? No. <laughs> I swear. So, uh, so I think so. Some some celebrities been in it. Like Alicia Silverstone's uh, did it with her son Bear. And uh, isn't it
0: funny that that automatically dismisses it? I, I you mean the fact that his name yeah. is Bear? No, no, no. Just the <laughs> fact that it's a celebrity thing. Like celebrities do it. It's like I dismiss it. Interesting.
1: That's <laughs> a different. So I actually, like, I actually the,
0: thought it was the name Bear that that dismissed it. <laughs> no, I have a good friend with this, who has a son named Bear. I mean, I guess it makes sense if
1: uh, if. If you're if you're really obsessed with naturalness, right, and you're toilet training your kid, then you don't you don't want to like be using diapers, and you don't want to be using a toilet. You want it to be like nature, right? Like so, when I talked with uh, with anthropologists who work with hunter gatherers, you know, I asked them like how does you know how does potty training work, and they were like what do you mean? Like, people just piss in the forest? And, right. you know, if you, if you take a shit in someone's lap, they're gonna be really upset at you, and it doesn't, you know... And then, and then like, you figure it out. And then you don't figure it Don't shit in daddy's lap. Exactly. <laughs> um, but there's this idea, right, that, that and so that's, how, that's what we should be doing with our children. And, and I don't know about you, but, like, when, I, you know, when we had our daughter, I was online, and I'm like, okay, well, how do I parent my child? What are the right things to do? Like, should she be in my bed? Should she be in the crib? And time and time again, I always read about how hunter-gatherers parented their babies, right? And it was always like, this is the natural way to parent your kid. So it must be better. And, and I realized that was, that was where I had my problem. That, that it's fine to love nature,
0: but you shouldn't worship it. Well, human beings have done horrible things to their children from the beginning of time without anybody telling them to do it or not to do it. And I don't know if that's natural. But it, it, yeah, I mean, if it occurs enough, it's kind of natural. Like pedophilia occurs a lot is that natural? So so there was a, there's a there was, it, yeah, I mean, you know, if it, right? it, essentially, essentially, again,
1: right, it, if natural is defined as whatever sort of emerges spontaneously out of forces that weren't willed by human beings, yeah. which is what I think natural is, right? So right. we say we have natural instincts. In other words, it's whatever we didn't will. It just comes out of us. Right. There's, a, there's a woman who's an expert on captivity, so kidnapping, slavery, named Catherine Cameron, and I was interviewing her, and she said, you know, it is as natural as the nuclear family to have slaves, right? So Jeez. slavery is a thing that has been done forever and ever. I mean, you imagine, right? So your pre-agricultural, your tribe, your group requires certain population, can't get too high, can't get too low. And so kidnapping other people's children, is often a common thing. Um, yeah. So is that good? Well, clearly not, right? Or, you know, dying in childbirth. Um, these, these are all things that are natural, but are obviously not good. And so I, start, I started to see the way in which this word was being abused. Basically people would use natural to describe whatever they favored mm. and unnatural to describe whatever they didn't like, right? People do it with mm. sex, people do it with child rearing, people do it with economic theories, right? You want a natural market with no interference. And that's how people would justify a free market. You've got other people who are like, actually money is unnatural. You really want a barter system. That was what emerged naturally out of humans. And I'm sitting here looking at both these arguments. I'm like, no, you want an economy that works.
0: Right. It doesn't matter whether it's natural or not. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, One of the things that I saw in your book uh, was you were talking to Joel Salatin, who I love. And um, he's a strange man, um, but a, a beautiful person. I, re- I really love what he's doing with Polyface Farms. But he drinks the water that the cows drink out of so that he gets that in his biome. You know, he's, he's a real freak. But when you were talking about New York City and, uh, you know, would his method of farming work to feed a city as big as New York? He's like, do you need a city as big as New York? Then I'm like, okay, er, hit the brakes. Right. Now we're in the weeds. Yeah. Because I love New York. It's a fucking great place to visit. I don't want to live there, but it's awesome. I mean when you go to new york if you you're if you're in a hotel that has like a thirtieth floor and you look out and you see the skitty, the city skyscrape you know you see all the the you know the skyline all the different beautiful buildings lit up at night i mean that is an amazing spectacular sight that I am very thankful exists i love it there
1: yeah I'm great. i 'm great i'm grateful for all that i mean there's so many it's it's it 's insane really to be right now if someone 's listening to this podcast here we are we 've got microphones we 're beaming. This conversation to to millions of people and to think that that simultaneously people would be thinking to themselves, the criteria I'm going to use to judge whether something is good or bad with a capital G or a capital B is how natural it is.
0: Right. This is totally unnatural.
1: As as unnatural (laughs) as unnatural as it gets. Meanwhile, the coronavirus rate, which is, you know. Natural, of course, people will say, well, actually, we wouldn't have been infected if only we lived more naturally, right? So the problem is urban density or the problem is that you shouldn't be
0: going into the jungle and getting things. But like this is, you know, there's actually an argument against that, though. The 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 virus itself, more evidence is coming out daily that it's been manipulated, that it most likely did come out of that lab. I had Brett Weinstein on the podcast who's a biologist. And he was talking about all the, the various aspects of the virus that really don't exist naturally in, in 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 this form without having evolved for a long period of time. The fact that it just emerged and made this leap from bats to the form that it is now in people. He's like, it's far too contagious. It's far too prolific. It's There's so many different – I'm, I'm going to fuck it up if I talk about the technical details of it, but – when he was describing it, he was saying more evidence points to the fact that it was actually something that had been manipulated by people than that it was a natural virus. So, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not a biologist. Um, no, I'm I, have, not. I have no idea, but I think
1: what, I think what's weird or what I would want to push back on, and this is a religious study scholar, right? Because this mm-hmm. is, this is where I came to all the natural, natural stuff to begin with is if something's bad, I think people are immediately going to think, oh, it makes sense that it was unnatural it makes sense that this bad thing that's hurting us couldn't be natural. But, but the truth is, some things that hurt us are natural. Cyanide. And there you go. Or, yeah. you know, again I, mean, again, I keep going back to childbirth. But I mean, I went to Peru. Yeah. I gotta tell you the story. So I went to Peru to research this book because I wanted to talk with, like, as close as I could get to pre-agricultural hunter-gatherers, right? And I can't get, you can't get too close, but there are, there are people called the Matsigenka, the Matigenga, Um, in the rainforest that I got to talk to and I got to ask them about, you know, their relationship with technology and all that stuff. I'm never going to forget. I go up to this, this guy and I ask him, they've just had solar lights installed like in the main sort of area of their village. And I go up to this guy and I was like, how do you feel about having these artificial lights? Installed and he and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's this pollution, right? Isn't it better to just have, you know, the stars in the sky and the moon? And he looks at me and he goes, he goes, this is good. It, we can see at night now. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, like he was talking to just a fucking idiot, you know, like, of, of course, I'm happy. Right. Or this. And then there was this old lady. I was like, they they'd had, you know, they had a they had a pump like running water installed, basically clean in water. Right. So you could wash your dishes and, and your clothes. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is ripping them away from the natural way of life. And I asked this lady, I'm like, how do you feel about the water? And she's like, it's we don't we don't get bacterial. In- I mean, she didn't say bacterial infection. She was like, we don't get sick anymore from the water that we're drinking from the river. I was like, "Oh, and she's just looking at me like who like why why is he asking me this, right? And meanwhile, I'm coming from this place where everyone wants to get closer to nature, yeah. right? Because we have been alienated from it. And and I'm asking from the perspective of someone who thinks it just must be paradise living so close to nature. And she's like, "No, we want the we we, we want to be able to wash our clothes and have the fucking lights on at night." Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was like, hmm. "Right, there was a shaman. I'm talking to the shaman in the village, Don Alberto, right? And he's talking to me. He's like, "You know, it's true that technology is messing up the world. We've got climate change. We've got, you know, all these species are going extinct. And he goes on and on, right? It's, he's very close to nature, very, very wise man. He's got a cell phone also, right? Mm. And, and I'm like, well, so is technology bad? And he's like, he's, he's like yes. Well, yes, yes and no. He's on Tinder. So. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that's what he's really doing. Yeah. He didn't tell me. <laughs> but that's, and that's, I, I want people... I just want people to understand that there just aren't any easy categories you can use to divide up the world into good and bad. And now that people, now that organized religion sort of the sphere of authority is shrinking, right? You don't go to your priest to find out what to eat. You don't go to your priest to find out how to cure your disease. Now that that authority is shrinking, I think people are looking to other similar kinds of authority. And so they're like, okay, I can't go to my priest, but if I'm walking through the store, what sort of criteria can I use to divide the world up easily into good and evil, clean and unclean? Organic. Organic it's and normal. inorganic, right? Yeah, yeah. artificial. And it's built into our language, Joe. Yeah. Like, artificial, art- so artificial, artificial might be a thing someday. Uh, artificial, right, is, is linked to artifice, which is deception, right? Mm. So you've got manipulated, which really just means – humans got a hold of it and changed it with their hands also means something bad so really built into our language we have this idea that natural means good artificial manipulated that's bad
0: i think maybe it's because we have this insane power to manipulate things and we we all collectively use the power manipulate things that was created by scientists that have a far greater understanding of what the implications and like what the process of this manipulation is. And we just come along and use their technology. I mean that's I think that's that's a problem with so much of what people do. Like we've we've earned this power just by virtue of being alive and being able to trade in goods and services for whatever that they've created and then we don't think about the consequences of utilizing this stuff. Like what is, there's gotta be, there's some sort of a balance, right? There's a balance between, like if you want to have a fireplace in your house, that's wonderful. Fireplaces are great. It's a nice smell, right? You, you walk in the house, you smell a fireplace. If you're walking down the street and someone's got their fireplace on, it smells good. But if the whole fucking place is on fire, it's terrible. You're filled with smoke, you can't breathe. It's like there's a balance. And clearly when you see polluted cities, clearly when you see polluted rivers and we're destroying the environment, there's a a lack of balance. We've utilized this power that we have to manipulate our environment, but we've done it completely irresponsibly or we've done it without the, without the awareness of the consequences of 8 million people doing the exact same thing. Yeah, well, that, I mean, the scale you can do stuff on. With, yeah. with technology
1: is really increased i mean it's it's made us incredibly powerful right there's Stuart brand the guy who started the whole earth catalog you know said basically we've become like gods so we have to be able to wield this power responsibly i think it's easy to see that and say well then the evil is in the form of the power itself right obviously then if we've got a nuclear bomb or we've got you know if we're polluting the world then the problem is with with the technology itself so you locate the evil in that technology whereas you know what you're saying, I mean, take, take burning wood, which is a great example. You know, we've got a lot of people on earth now. We have them because kids aren't fucking dying all the time. Right. I mean the, so there's, there's some, there are some things So I discovered while I was reading this. For example, have you seen that cartoon um, where there's two cavemen in a room? It's a New Yorker cartoon and they're talking to, they're not in a room. They're cavemen. They're in a cave. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so they're in a cave and they're talking to each other. And one of them's like, you know, we eat organic, we exercise all the time. And like, nobody's living past the age of 35 what's going on <laughs> right so there's there's this that's and that's the people that are like nature's bullshit take right they're yeah. like but but actually it turns out that that cartoon is bullshit so people didn't just die at age 35 that was average lifespan because tons of kids were dying between the age of 0 and 5 truth is if you made it past 5 then you had a pretty good shot at like 60 or 70 um so so it wasn't so bad in the state of nature at the same time There's another vision of what's happening to us now. Have you seen that evolution? There's like an evolution cartoon where it starts with, I don't know, like paleolithic man or a chimpanzee or something. And then it gets to like a big, strong hunter with a spear. And then technology comes in and they hunch over at the end and they get obese and they've got like a Coke in one hand. And there's this idea like, well, technology is now, we were perfect when we were natural. And then technology has made us worse. And for me, it's what you were saying. A balance right yeah there are ways in which technology like my dad my dad is is 91 the, i talked you know i talked to anthropologists and like despite what you might you know you what you might think th- there aren't a lot of 91 year old hunter gatherers they're just not out there no. so i'm like really grateful that my dad you know is super healthy 91 year old that is that's crazy that's an incredible thing we've done i'm glad that kids aren't dying all the time I'm dad, you know, I'm glad that mothers aren't dying in childbirth. That's those are incredible things, like New York City, right? At the same time, it's we're destroying the world. Right. So we gotta we gotta work out these problems without using simple binaries to figure out what's good and what's bad. It's better to have solar power than billions of humans burning wood. Right. But solar power's obviously
0: to me at least less natural than light in a piss of wood Solar on, power wood doesn't on fire. bother me at all. Yeah. I mean, I love solar power, but I'm I'm totally on board with what you're saying, and there is some sort of a balance. And, uh, you know, the the nihilists, like I have friends that will say, you know, we we shouldn't have children, and there's too many people in the world, and uh, overpopulation's our biggest problem. I'm like, yeah, but I love people. Don't you love people? (laughs) Like, a world without people would suck for people. Like if you, do, you, do you remember that cartoon, there was a, um, or, um, excuse me, uh, not a cartoon, it was an episode of um, uh, Twilight Zone, where Burgess Meredith, he uh, is the last man on earth and he accidentally breaks his glasses and he can't read. He's, uh, he's always just wanted alone time to read his books and he's always been bothered by all these people and then he's inside, I forget what, he's in a bank vault or something like that and there's a nuclear catastrophe something along those lines and he leaves this area to go outside and he realizes that he's the, literally the last person on earth but he has all these books to read and he's so excited and he starts picking up these books but then he breaks his glasses and he <laughs> fucked and um I mean the the ideal of being the last person on earth is one of the that's that's probably one of the most terrifying ideas for a person to be completely isolated and alone forever with no one to talk to we love each other people love people we like being around each other we like we like we like the love of other people we we, we want to talk and it's like a vitamin i mean really it's like how you get vitamin d from the sun you get vitamin l from people you really need it I mean, well, it's, we, it's a legitimate need. And we don't
1: want people to die. Right. And one of the things about evolution is the, you know, I say this in the book, the, the gears of evolution are greased with death, right? That's what it is. It's people mm-hmm. dying before they reach reproductive age. We've decided we'd like to prevent that from happening, right. you know, as much as we can. We don't want people dying all the time. We We're love each other. We're
0: stepping in with our virtue right. and stopping that, natural selection. That's exactly right. Yeah.
1: And, you know, it's a... It's a weird argument, I think, to want to claim nature as this kind of benevolent deity that if only we follow what it tells us, right, just act naturally, which is a bizarre phrase if you think about right. it because you've got to act that way. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that is bizarre. Right? right? It's like, no, 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 just act naturally. And you're like, well, but that's it's hard for me. I'm mean, going to have to sort of artificially do this. But, you know, I, that, we don't want to be natural. Right. We're, we're unnatural animals that's that's what we are. um not my phrase H.G. Wells calls calls us unnatural animals and I think that's okay. We want to embrace that paradox instead of
0: trying as much as we can to figure out the ways in which naturalness is good. H.G. Wells is a fascinating character, right? Because he predicted so many things as a science fiction author, you know, who was living in a time of very little technology in terms of like what we experience today. That guy had a, a fantastic vision of the future. He did. I mean, it's int- This is a totally, it's a totally separate
1: thing, I guess, for me. But when it comes to, when it comes to the ability of science and scientists to predict the future, I think this is a place. I mean, we see it with macroeconomists most obviously. Um, but there's a way in which we've come to expect that science, because it has done such incredible things with manipulating reality, with telling us truths about where we are in the universe that also it ought to be able to predict complex systems like where are humans gonna be in 30 years or what's gonna happen with the coronavirus 10 years down the line or whatever it happens to be. But the truth is fiction writers, science fiction writers who have thought very hard about constructing plausible worlds are, are just as good of authorities on predicting what's going to be happening with human systems 70 years, 100 years down the line as scientists are. So there there are clear limits to what science and a certain form of investigation can tell us about. And, and I, think it's, I think it's important if we stop trying to force scientists to tell us everything, right? Like, well, what's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen 70 years down the line? What's going to happen 100 years down the line? At that point, we need a different set of tools to figure out what to do with ourselves and what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that think that there's not enough babies being born in the Western world because people are more career oriented and we're worried that someday we're going to have underpopulation problems like Japan has right now. Yeah, It's terrible in Japan. It's a real, it's a real crisis. And we
1: got to that crisis. You know, how do we, all of these things are a result of us, like you said, right? Stepping in with our virtue, which I don't mean in a bad way, but stepping in with our virtue, trying to fix things like feed people, for example, like we don't want kids to die. We want there to be enough calories to go around. And what ends up happening is we have, A lot of people. So then we have to figure out new ways to house them, and feed them, and power the things that they do, and entertain them, and you know, and so on and so forth. So then we get a lot of people, and then people are like, "Well, okay, let's have fewer humans because that's the problem." But then when you do that, now you've got a system that depends on having more humans, right? You need a younger generation coming in. So these systems are are incredibly complicated, and I think, I think again the. The reason people are leaning on naturalness so hard is because when you're faced with complicated, uncertain systems, it's scary. You know, it's really scary. And you want some kind of criteria, whether it's a holy book or a prophet or whatever it is, to tell you, no, I got this.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the weirdest things about today, right? Is that we are faced with these unparalleled crises where we really, we don't have anything to go off of. We don't have a a similar situation that happened, you know, in 1985, where we are today with the coronavirus, and then with the subsequent lockdown of the economy, where everyone's terrified. And then you have the George Floyd murder. And then you have the looting and the riots and the chaos and the protests. And then you have the coronavirus kicks in again. And our leaders look impotent. And we, we can't Look to what I mean when you have a guy like Donald Trump in office already you have a situation like Jesus! I hope the cabinet can keep this thing together. I hope the Senate can hold this but this is madness We got a reality show host who's the fucking president, but then All the mayors are fucking up all the governor no one It's not even that they're fucking up is that no one is equipped to handle this so you see unprecedented anger particularly online where you know, you're you dealing with people, and this is one, one of the things that drew me to you, is one of the tweets that you made about processed information, that online information is essentially processed information when you're dealing with like social media, versus like actual communication like you and I are having right now, which is what resonates with people. I think it's one of the things that resonates with podcasts. It's one of the reasons why I prefer to do them in person. It's the closest thing to a real conversation with a real person. Whereas this... Viewing of text white on black, you know white letters in my case I use the night mode on a a black screen. It's so weird like you 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 have to interpret intent You have to try to get and then you're not getting any social cues from the person you're not there's not a back-and-forth It's just you spit something out. They spit something back, and it's you're trying to uh, Approximate what it's like to actually talk to a person it's very processed. I, th- I thought that what you, the way you described it was really the perfect definition of what ails us. we we're so many people today are communicating in this way. And it's very similar to people surviving off of processed food and becoming sick. It's so if you think about if you think about
1: how processed food was was created basically, and and I mean modern ultra-processed food, because these terms are all really slippery, right? Just like the term natural. So this is on a spectrum, right? The history of cooking is a history of processing food, right? You like to cook, I like to cook. That's processing food. Dessert is a kind of food that's been made to be highly palatable. You know, so it's not about processing being intrinsically evil, but with ultra-processed foods, what you've got is you've got a bunch of companies that are like, all right, what can we exploit about human appetites to make foods as compulsively eatable as possible, right? It's terrifying. You've got, I think Coca-Cola, I think it was, said something like, we have to conquer stomach share. This is a term they use. What? Yeah, so like, there's a, <laughs> there, yeah, so you think, right, you have 100, think of a stomach, right? Like, okay, so we got 100% of the stomach. Like, how can Coca-Cola fill the maximum amount of stomach share in in the humans of the world.
0: Wow, what a bizarre way of looking at people.
1: It, it's it's terrifying, right? And so then and they did it. because you've they've got the smartest people, you know, they've got great chemists and biologists working, you know, day and night to figure out how to conquer stomach share.
0: And they started with cocaine, which is even more <laughs> weird. Did you know it's still yeah. Im- okay? <laughs> yeah, it was like yeah. I could, I discovered that when I was, I
1: was like, "Wait, there's a plant in New Jersey that's yep. getting,
0: like- yeah, and that's the number one supplier of medical cocaine." <laughs> it's so crazy! It's Coca-Cola. <laughs> we should tell people. Just tell people the, what the what we're talking about. For people don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, so so Coca-Cola back in the day was made with 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 cocaine for the for the cocaine kick. John Pemberton, the guy who the guy who came up with Coca-Cola, had cocaine in it, and to this day. <laughs> There is a plant that's been grandfathered in, I guess, legally, I don't know mm-hmm. how it works, that is still importing enormous amounts of cocaine, processing it so that it's no longer has an effect on you in the way that cocaine would, and putting it in Coca-Cola.
0: Yeah, the flavor of Coca-Cola is apparently a big part of the reason why, like, Pepsi... Uh, unfortunately, Pepsi, you don't taste as good as Coke. You just don't <laughs> it's, it's, there's no cocaine in it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the flavonoids it's just, there's some I, don't, I think that's the right word. There's some flavor that the coca leaf has I've never had um, Chewed coca leaf, but people who I've talked to that have had it said it's an amazing way to get energy It's yeah. like a cup of coffee they gave it to
1: us when we, when, when you arrived, when we arrived in um, – so like when I was in Bolivia, I had chewed coca leaves. When I what is it in, like? In per- it's not – I mean it's not like – I mean it's not like being on coke. It's just Have you like, been on coke before? I have. Um, and it's nothing like that. So it's, it's – it's, because cocaine, right, is an a ultra-processed form right. of what is in – Coke the coca leaves, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, um, that's how it's been described to me. Unfortunately, I've never, or maybe fortunately, I've never done coke. But I have had uh, mate de coca, the the tea from that, which is really interesting because I couldn't shut the fuck up when I was drinking. it. <laughs> I was like, well, this is terrible for me. I already can't shut the fuck up. You give me this stuff. This is awful.
1: We got I want to want to get back to, so cocaine. <laughs> so cocaine. This is how we got sidetracked. Yeah, cocaine, so go
0: Coca-Cola, yeah. ultra processed food, stomach share. All right, we're back. uh we're back where we were. We should were. tell people that this Coca this Coca-Cola when they do take the coca leaf and they process it and use the flavor for Coca-Cola, then they take the cocaine out of it yeah. and then it's the number one medical supplier of cocaine is the, are the people that do that. So literally medical cocaine like lidocaine and all that shit comes from a I didn't lot know of it, it. From I didn't Coca-Cola. know it was the same plant. That's crazy. <sighs> crazy. Yeah. That's medical cocaine.
1: So these people are trying to conquer our stomachs and they did it. Right, and one of the ways they did it also was make it cheap and accessible. There's vending machines in every school. I mean, think for a second how crazy that is, that there are vending machines with just Coca-Cola and candy bars and yeah. stuff in every single school we have, you know, it's that, but, but it happened, right? And so now we live in a world in which extremely cheap, highly palatable, and very accessible food is everywhere. No wonder we have a problem with our diets. And that's exactly what's happening with information right now. So I, as, as I understand it, the way in which Twitter was designed, for example, they consulted with people who wanted to figure out how to keep you compulsively coming back. So like slot machines, right? They consulted with people who build slot machines to figure out, okay, what, pe- what keeps people pulling the lever, right, so they could just have it refresh. You just have your tweets at the top, but instead there's a little alert button, right? You pull down, there's a little noise like or whatever the noise is when you, mm-hmm. when you pull down on it, you know? And so they've made it compulsive. They've made it highly palatable, right? You want to you keep coming back. And the thing is, the difference between ultra-processed information and ultra-processed food is that I think we're, we're, we're the companies now. And that really freaks me out. Mm. We're the consumers. We're also the manufacturers. And we're also the distributors, we make the meme, someone is going to take some cut of this show and turn it into a soundbite that's highly palatable in the way that that information becomes highly palatable. It's going to be oversimplified, right? It's going to have heroes and villains. It's going to have a it's going to demonize someone. And it's going to be something that gives you a sense of belonging. Those are the three things I think that make information highly processed and highly palatable. We want a hit of information that's easy to understand, that demonizes someone, and that gives us a sense of belonging. And that's just like exploiting what humans want, right? You're saying, you know, we're creatures that want to love each other. We want to belong, right? It's just the same way we want to taste salt, sugar, and fat. We want to feel these things. And the information that we have around us now, it's it's the same thing as a Snickers bar, except the difference is we're
0: Snickers. We're making it. And we're behaving like junkies, like rabid junkies. If you look at – I don't know what percentage of Twitter discourse ends in people being angry with each other, but it seems like it's half at least. I mean it's just – there's so much rabid discourse. There's just – people pissed at each other and insulting each other and – it's so unlike anywhere else in the world, unless you're in a fucking war zone, like the way people talk to each other. If people talked to each other in real life the way they talked in, on Twitter, the emergency ward would be filled with people with broken faces and, and, and shattered eye sockets. It'd be chaos. Well, it's like road, it's road rage. It's no. how you treat people, it's how you
1: treat the person in the other car that's cut you off because they're not, they've been dehumanized, they're mm-hmm. isolated, right? It's like Twitter just allows you to, and social media in, in certain ways facilitates
0: being angry
1: in the way that you get angry at other car. You like
0: honk and you're like, fuck you, man, I hate you. It's like, it, like. But do you know what also you know, causes that, the reason why people do that in road rage? It's because your sensors are heightened because you're moving so fast because you're you're aware that split-second decision-making is It's important to survival So when you're going 65 miles an hour and you're looking around at everybody and this guy gets a free motherfucker (laughs) like you're already at seven or eight and I think this is also a part of the problem today online because the the coronavirus and because of the, the lockdown and economic instability. I mean, we're at unprecedented joblessness right now. I mean, people are really hopeless. There's a lot of people that they, we got one $1,200 check from the government and then that's it. And then, you, you know, you hear that Kanye West got this giant loan and Judd Apatow got this giant loan. These really wealthy people are getting all this money. But meanwhile, salon owners, small business owners didn't. A lot of people are just fucking furious at everything. Because it's like driving a car you're you're already heightened. So this information that comes at you Maybe it wouldn't have pissed you off under normal circumstances, but now you're fucking furious, right? It's like stress eating or yes. something So we have this I hadn't really thought about that with uh, with road rage, but it does
1: make sense, right? So when you're when you're already at that when you're already at that level, then you're gonna be even more likely to Need that kind of information want to participate in that kind of dialogue um, You're already dialogue. It's not dialogue, but no it's it not
0: yeah. it's yeah
1: yeah, it's, I, I, and, and there's ways we can we can stop it. I really think we can stop it by focusing on problems with the system and problems with ourselves, right? It's both of us because we're the ones manufacturing it and we're the ones consuming it. So we can do things about it. And it ranges from, you know, I mean, I don't like, I don't have, I still don't have a smartphone. You don't? Uh, no. You a flip phone guy?
0: I have a flip phone. Wow. Yeah. On
1: purpose? yeah. Um, I mean, in part not because but you tweet a lot.
0: I do. So oh, that's when I, not good.
1: Well, <laughs> it is, I know it's compulsive. I think the reason I don't have it is because if I had a smartphone, man, it'd be all over. I'd be yeah. on it all the time. Um, I mean, when I'm at home, cause I, you know, cause I work from home sometimes my wife has, my wife has a smartphone. Um, And so I'll always be like using her phone. She's like, what are you doing? Like if you don't have a phone, you can't just go use my phone, right? And then I'm installing things on my computer like Freedom, which is this app that blocks you from, I mean, it's literally like, you know, with food, right? People have those locks that only open.
0: So I have an app that like locks me out of these sites. I have a a folder on my desktop um, or on my, uh, I guess, yeah, my desktop of my phone um, that says junkie. And uh, that's just all you. of my uh, Instagram and Twitter <laughs> and all that stuff I was going to show it to you. but
1: It's important. That's, yeah. That kind of thing. Is, so we need, I think we all need to collectively take steps
0: in that way. But also we need
1: to realize, and, and this is really important, right? It's not just about natural, unnatural. It's not just about technology. We've had this kind of junk food information around forever. And this is where I think for me as a, as a scholar of religious studies, right? If you look at myths and folk tales and fairy tales and if you look at the structure of religions there are ways to tell stories to get people heightened there are ways to tell stories to make people feel belonging there are ways to tell stories to demonize people right these tropes have been a lot, you know they've been around forever right what do you do you create a, a villain you tell a story about redemption you tell a story about a fall you tell a story in which the people who are hearing the story, just by hearing it, become heroes. Right? These, are, these are things that have been around for a long time, in the same way that if you go back 2000 years, if you were super rich and had access to lots of delicious, salty, sugary, fatty food, you could get fat. It was just a lot harder back then. And in the same way, now we've facilitated the manufacture of this kind of these, these junk narratives that in small doses I think are fine. But if it's all we're consuming, it's a it's a disaster, and we're going to end up, I think, with some kind of with some problems that are analogous to the health problems that we're seeing because of what we eat. Except they're going to be problems in our soul, right? Yeah, we're I mean, going right. to get mental diabetes. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. I mean, it's not a, I I feel like it's a. I mean, I'm not I'm not like a sort of organized religious religion person myself, but I, I would say it's not just mental. It's like our souls. Mm. There's something deeply corrupting. Of our humanity, and I and I catch myself doing it. So, like, so that tweet that you were talking about, I had I had written a piece a week before that about Trump visiting, um, was that? you know visiting the church and holding up the Bible. It was yeah. this really angry piece, and I was like, I'm gonna, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna write about how terrible this is. Um, and, and and put this out there, right, and well, do something. The way he set it up, too, by yeah, like tear gassing right, all the protesters was, to clear uh, the I area. Was, I was like, what? A, what a horrible thing, right? I'm going to tell everybody how horrible this is. I'm going to get my anger out. And then I and then when the article came out, I just realized that I was just sending it into the fucking machine, right? And it was going to get ground up. And the people who already agreed with it were going to read it and be like, yeah, it's terrible. And the people that disagreed with it are either never going to read it, or they're going to see it and they're going to be like, see, people keep attacking Trump, like they're all crazy. And right. and it. It was sort of like a crisis. I was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to be doing, I
2: don't want to yeah. be putting
1: anything into this machine, if it's just gonna get processed into junk information so that we can
0: feed our habit. And this is a habit that we really don't know how to navigate. We've only been dealing with this habit for when did Twitter get invented? Two thousand seven. It's very recent. Yeah, that's not enough time for us to figure out how to do it right. I mean, remember, like during the. Uh, I'm 52, so when I was a kid, watching television for for kids all day was fairly new, right? It had only been like a generation or two that that was even possible to just watch TV all the time, right. and it was constantly thought of as the corrupting thing. Like get out, get away from the TV. You're all, all you do is watch TV. Get up, get outside, and that was sort of the first indication. That there's there's a, a potential for an unhealthy relationship with technology and with distributed content, right? But I think Twitter is far more toxic than that because you're actually putting the content out yourself And then you're waiting to see how people respond and you shift the way you interact with people based on how they respond to your tweets. Right, it's the belonging thing. Yes, or your Facebook posts yeah. or what, what have you. Like- it, it,
1: it, it created, I mean, it's interesting you say that, like thinking again about food, because I'm obsessed with, like the first book I wrote was about food mm-hmm. um, and like how how we came to fear certain foods like fat or salt or sugar. And, and thinking about it in this way, right, you need a technology to be able to process something to get it cheap enough so that it can be widely consumed, right, so information that allows you to belong, right? For a long time, only certain people, I mean, for, for a while, right, it's only people who could read and write, right? So that's, that's all you've got. Those are the only people who could produce it. And then now, every, every, it's so cheap to produce information that makes you a part of a community. It's free, mm, right? right? We do We do it all yeah. the time. And like you said, we haven't figured out how to navigate it. And that's another confusion I think that people have with natural versus unnatural, which is that we also just have problems with novelty. As human beings right something new comes up we don't we still don't know how to navigate our food system we still don't know how to stop people from eating too much we don't we don't know how to do it collectively as a society we clearly have not solved this problem and yet it's important to remember that for most of the world the problem is still not having enough right so there was a time when the problem was people had no information you just didn't know anything you knew nothing that sucked too right so it's great that we have the internet that was far worse yeah Yeah. that was far worse um or at least not i I mean like it was it was it was really bad and it was bad in a profoundly different way i mean this goes back to like the with the hunter gatherer thing right whether it was better in a state of nature i often hear people there's a great book called against the grain written by a um by a, a guy who is he's at yale and he thinks that we need to be easier on the past and harder on the present in this book. And one of the things he points out is like, oh, people these days, like humans, modern humans, you and I, we go out and we don't know what a plant is or we don't know what an animal is. And he's right, right? We don't, most people don't have, a, have the knowledge of the natural world that hunter-gatherers do. But at the same time, they don't know about the germ theory of disease. They don't know about you know, planetary cycles. And so it, it, it's always important for me at least as soon as I start to get sucked into one of these binaries, right? It was so bad. It's so bad now today to remember that, that it was also bad, bad in different ways in the past. And we can't make the mistake of thinking that the problem with information and in our, in our consuming of it today, we can't make the mistake of thinking that, that the evil is in the form. It, it, we can make it good. We can make it better. We can
0: learn how to deal with this, I think, um, I hope as long as we're conscious of the problem. I think we can the same way we learn how to deal with liquor stores. I mean, liquor stores are everywhere, but I'm not drunk, you're not drunk. We don't go there and drink all day. And I think it's the same thing as dealing with this kind of compulsion to use social media. You don't have to do it all the time. It's, It's there, but you've got to learn restraint and you've got to really be cognizant Of the impact that it has on you absolutely it should be well
1: so one i mean you know bringing up alcohol right i mean one one thing is you know taboos cultural taboos are really important for controlling our relationship to things that we would otherwise be compulsive about like eating too much or having sex with everybody and so we institute these sort of taboos i don't understand why it's not more of a taboo to you know why it's not tabooed when you're on social media if you're if you're an asshole everyone should pile on to you for being an asshole on social media. I mean, I personally and I don't know, you you may feel differently about this, but like I'm just grossed out by people sharing videos of random people a- a- and mocking these people. Like I I I I think it's just kind of creepy. I'm not saying sharing videos of police
0: or people in positions of authority. I just mean, I know what you're saying. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Well, it's um It's terrifying when you you see, like, here's an example, and I don't think this person was correct, but it was weird watching this. There was a girl who uh, was on TikTok, and she was talking about Black Lives Matter, and she said, basically, if you say to me, all lives matter, she goes, I'm going to stab you. And while you're bleeding out, you see this? Yeah. While you're bleeding out, I'm going to show you my paper cut, and I'm going to go, look, you know, I'm cut too. You know, she goes, that's the difference between all lives matter. You know, like she was just screaming and yelling I'm gonna fucking stab you But it's just a bad analogy from a person who's trying very hard to virtue signal cut to next video She was crying That people had found the video and they were attacking her and then she got fired and she got fired from this job that she really loved and there was In the comments of this there was all these laughing emojis with the laughing with the tears coming out where people were taking pleasure out of the fact this person made this misstep she's a young she looked like she was in her 20s she made this you know she thought she was like putting something out in the world to stand up for people that are being maligned and mistreated and you know and and wronged by society and that there's a there should be a balance and to understand the balance and she made a terrible analogy it just it wasn't good. But the fact that people were taking pleasure in the fact that this person got fired from it was very disturbing. Why
1: do we? I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, why, why, do I, why have I seen this? <laughs> why have you seen this? Like, you knew. Yeah. You were it's like, why did we consume that? I didn't know what it why, was. Until why did I that get part of my, my soul share, yeah. right? If there's stomach share, like, why is that video even a part of my brain? It should not be in there. There's no reason for it. It could be there's a million better things that could occupy that slot.
0: But there's a fascination, the same way there's a fascination of people jumping off buildings to a pool and missing and hitting the concrete. You know, I mean, I've seen a lot of those. There's something, (laughs) there's something about missteps because you know it could be you. Look, I'm a moron. If I was on a roof with one of my good friends and I had a couple of beers in me and they're like, "You want to make the jump?" I'm like, "Fuck, should we?" Like, especially if I was 18, I probably would have jumped. You know, like there's a lot of people that do. If I was her and I was 18, I probably would have made this a similar dumb video. The thing is, it's interesting. Okay, so with the with the with the swimming pool right Mm -hmm. this is
1: it's one thing i actually think it's one thing to mock someone for just doing some stupid shit it's another thing when the when the background and this again gets back to this idea of ultra processed information when the background when what makes it so exciting is not that they're stupid or they did something or that could have been you but that they're evil right ah i get to watch evil and i'm just good i'm good just because i'm feeling That this person's evil and that part it's very different from I mean, it's very different from what was it like America's Funniest Home Videos, right? Like that's not (laughs) that was not a show where you were like tuning in to find out who the evil people were, right? And then being like look at those people if we just like they deserve what they got that would be crazy. It's so I mean, just thinking about our attitude I don't know. It's it's really intense.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, it's not good. And uh, meanwhile, I watch a lot of them. Yeah. (laughs) I watched one today where a bus driver body slammed this guy. (laughs) Apparently, there was some jerk who was uh, bothering these bus drivers, and uh, he was picking a fight with this other bus driver. And this second bus driver, who he had apparently fucked with before, comes up from behind and picks him up and body slams him on the concrete and knocks him unconscious. It's horrible. But I watched it three times. Yeah, it's compu- it's compulsive, yeah. right? I yeah, mean, it's I the, it's the same it.
1: way you can't step away from. I mean, not you, but like you know, in general, like the same thing with the with the food. Yeah, you know, you can't
0: you can't help it. And yeah, it's it's it really is bad for your brain, and it's but that that one at least is like here's a person who's physically fucking with people and assaulting people, and they got theirs. But the girl with the paper cut analogy, it's like she's just dumb. You know, she's just a dumb kid who did a dumb thing and she thought she was being cool or she was fitting in. And she thought a bunch of people would be like, yeah, you go, girl. And instead it came back and and really fucked her. Right. You know? Although,
1: you know, it's funny. So I've seen, you know, there's a and you know about this, like you've had some people like this on your show. Like there's a there's a, the tendency, again, to divide the world up in the same way as natural and unnatural. Right now, another dichotomy that's emerged is like woke people. Mm hmm and then anti-woke people. Right. And so the anti-woke people, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, but they look at the woke people and they're like, look at these woke people. The woke people divide the world up into good and evil, right? The woke people are like, oh, look at all those unwoke sinners. We're woke, we're good, the unwoke are evil. But the anti-woke people are doing the same thing. They're like, look at those woke people tearing everybody down those are the bad people. And if we just get rid of all the woke people, <laughs> then everything will go back to the paradise of free thinking and yes. rationality where we could all speak our minds. And I'm looking at these people and I'm like, do you not understand the, the paradox, especially because these people are often like fairly smart, like philosophically minded people. And they're like, I hate people that create uh, demons and try to cast them out of society. We need to get rid of those people. And cast Mm. them out of society. And once we have that, we'll go back to paradise. And I'm like, no, there is no paradise. It's complicated, right? Like even with the social media, it's terrific that lay people who didn't have power once can hold powerful people accountable. It is a good thing that we get videos of cops doing bad stuff that before would have been hidden, right? So again, it's, it's more complicated. Like I like that. Yeah, I'm happy about that and I'm happy about the way in which our technology has empowered people to find communities, right? Also just like loners, like people that had weird hobbies, people that felt alone in their
0: small town. Now you get, can get and get out news. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're dealing in a place where, you know, the reporters can't get to, people on the ground can get information out to people. Exactly. There's, there's a lot of positive benefits to social media. Don't get me wrong. I, right. I really if used correctly, I think it's very valuable, but I just think the the power of it is very intoxicating to people, and much like processed food, which is where I think you you had that great analogy. I think it's just very it's very dangerous to become completely like if you're eating processed Twinkies nine hours a day, you're going to be sick. Well, if you're on Twitter nine hours a day arguing with people, you're going to be sick. Yep, you and are. You really are. I know people that have had real problems where you know they they get. Tremendous anxiety they're sweating and they're in, involved in these back and forth with people all day and they can't sleep
1: Yeah, there's that Well, there's that there's a classic cartoon right where it says uh, like honey I can't come to bed someone's wrong on the internet <laughs> Right, and it's, and I was just like that's perfect. I've had that right. Yeah, I'm like my wife's like "You're know, like, what are you doing? And I'm like uh, hold on one second like if I just tweet one more time this person's gonna have a you
0: know conversion experience I think what you're when, with with wokeness Um, And this is uh, something that James Lindsay had pointed out, and uh, Douglas Murray has a a great book about it in in a lot of the areas that we're talking about. Um, What's going on is a religion. I mean, it really is. It's got all of the elements of a religion. You can get cast out. You you can get attacked for noncompliance. It demands this very rigid ideology that you can't stray from. And it keeps getting more and more rigid as time goes on. Things that were acceptable just a few years ago can now get you—you you can get canceled, you can get fired, you can lose your job. I mean, we're getting to this—like, you can lose your job and be attacked for saying "all lives matter," which seems insane. Just at a—in a, just in terms of—I mean, it's understandable the people what where where people are going from. That this is like, no, you're, you're in deniance, you're in d- denial of this movement. But just the term All Lives Matter should be universally acceptable, but it's not anymore. Well, there was, wasn't there also a cop, though, that got, I think there was a cop who got fired for sharing Black Lives
1: Matter. This was very recently. Really? Um, but, but it, and, and that's not to say that. A cop? Yeah. This was in New York. I mean, I know, don't, don't quote me on this. Um, well, quote me on it. I just got quoted on it. But, <laughs> it's uh, too late. <laughs> yeah, it's too late. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure it happened. But again, that's. Mm-hmm. This is another problem with social media, right? Is like once it's said, it's out there. And Mm -hmm. the amount of energy someone has said, the amount of energy it takes to like, you know, reel back in misinformation Mm -hmm. is just disproportionate to the amount it takes to get the misinformation out there to begin with a
0: lack of understanding of like what a person does when they're thinking and expressing themselves like think about what we're doing we you and i talked for three minutes before we sat down and did this i gave you a little tour of the place we we shot the shit about laird hamilton superfood coffee and (laughs) and we sat down and started talking yeah you know what i mean i mean we don't know each other right but so we're talking we're, we're just we're, there's no preparation here we're just say, saying things out of the blue this is i want to i want to push back on these
1: anti-woke people though a little bit because i think it's important especially because they're very sharp and so they make very good arguments and and I, I i think that part of their problem is they do something called nut picking have you heard about this no so this is this is a phrase that i think a guy at at Mother Jones, Kevin Drum, I think he coined it. It's like cherry picking. And basically what you do is you trawl through any given group, university professors, some blog, whatever it is, and you pick the nuttiest things you can. And then you say, look what these – and this is actually what our whole information ecosystem does. It nutpicks for us. And so then what do you see? You see the craziest representations of any given group, right? right. So you see – you know if you're thinking about academia, right? You see some professor get kicked out of a university or you see some professor say some kind of crazy thing about like, you know, I don't know, like biological sex not being real in animals or whatever. You know, whatever whatever the crazy thing is. And then that becomes how you see that entire institution. You've nutpicked that institution. Right. Mm. And it's easy to mock. It's fun. But like the truth is if you sat these people down even right like if you sat down the nuts from both sides right and they had a conversation they're complicated people right they have complicated thoughts they 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 want to be able to explain themselves better and and i i'm frustrated because what i really want is for people to be able to have complicated conversations about touchy Subjects the most Isn't part of the subjects. problem
0: with what you're describing though that there's these aren't conversations They are not I mean, someone spits something out and even if it's preposterous like animals don't have biological sex there, There's no no one's talking to them. There's no one in the room with them, especially not a, a, a Biologist of uh, equal standing, you know someone who can go actually that's ridiculous to say and then you're having a conversation part of the problem is with just statements or even if someone's writing a blog there's a problem with no one being able to talk while you're talking. It's that's absolutely true. I mean, for 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 me, I just
1: I'm surprised by how much I don't know. Right? I mean, this is something I actually really I really appreciate about you. Like, like I don't know a lot of stuff. So I'm out when I was researching natural. Right? I have a chapter on economics. I don't know anything about economic theory, so I had to research that and talk to experts. I got a chapter on sports. I don't know anything about sports, so I got to go talk to people who are experts on you know whether a whether a cheetah blade for your leg, you know, how do you figure out whether that's fair or not or whatever, right? So I'm I'm sitting down and I'm talking with these people and what I realized is that everything's very complicated, right, these are complicated issues and when there's no one to push back on you and when there's no room for a dialogue, you just get the absolute stupidest, most extreme versions of whatever position it is that someone holds and the more touchy the subject the more that's true, right? Because mm. the more people feel the need to say one kind of sloganized version of whatever it is that they're that they're talking about. And the right. truth is, I think you could actually, if you've got these people in a room, they weren't just angry at each other, you could actually have really good conversations.
0: Yeah, I think what you're saying too is really important is that you're trying to... This idea of a sloganized version of it. You're, you're trying to reinforce your argument without any pushback from the other side, where a lot of these things are nuanced and complex and they're not black and white and it's not a one or a zero. It's like there's a lot of pros and cons, and a lot of these things, like one that I, you know, it's an uncomfortable one to get into, is abortion it's a very what i call a human problem not just that it's humans having abortions and you're aborting a human but it's a human problem in that very few people are going to have a problem with it if it's like three cells but then when it's three months old people are going to have more of a problem when it's six months old most people are going to have a problem with it so it becomes this very weird like to say no abortion should ever happen well what about the The morning after pill you don't think that someone should be able to if they get drunk and they make a mistake and they they Accidentally get pregnant from sex. You don't think they should be able to take a pill and end the pregnancy the day of The day of conception some people will say no you have to carry it forever and raise that kid till it's 20 But other people will say you should be able to have an abortion up until the day the baby's out of your body And I think that's fucking crazy, too. It's one of those things where it's you you it's a complicated, very nuanced subject. No, no, it's just pro life or uh, pro choice. <laughs> That's it, right? It's so stupid. Yeah, I mean, it's like, crazy. What, a, what an unproductive, what an unproductive way
1: to think about it. Yeah. And again, I mean, you bring up abortion, right? But you know, this is like what I said before. It's it's the touchy, complicated issue. sex in general, right? Because God or the gods always care about sex, right? So it's sex in general has has always been talked about. In this way, people want to draw yes. neat, bright lines. Whether it has to do with the with age of consent, whether right. it has to do with who you should be having sex with, um, and why. Right? Again, this is something that naturalness came into again because right? people are like, okay, well, we got to figure out what kind of sex you should be having with who. Well, how do we do it? If it's not God, right? And that's who it was for a long time telling people who to have sex with and how. We're, we'll look to nature. We'll figure out, and so you got, got you know, you got people writing books about how, well, actually the natural way to have, you know, to be sexual is polygamy. So clearly that's good and we should have, you know, monogamous monogamous relationships are going to be terrible, right? And then there's other people like, well, no, obviously if you look at every culture, um, monogamous marriages have emerged naturally. So that's the natural thing. And then some people are like, well, heterosexuality is natural, so you should never have sex with people of the same sex. And then... Other people are like, well, actually, we found these animals here uh, that are gay. So being homosexual <laughs> is actually okay. It's been yeah. proven by nature. I'm just looking at this like, it's obviously very complicated, right? Yes. <laughs> Who you should have sex with and how. Yeah. Incidentally, I there was a, while researching contraception and naturalness, I ran into a book called Holy Sex, which is a, a Catholic's guide to, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing the title here, mind-blowing, mind-blowing, toe-curling, like, got, got like, like divinely sanctioned sex, right? And I'm reading through it and there was a section on whether or not, so, so, so Catholic theories, really intense Catholic philosophers will deny this, but they'll say natural means something else and they'll kind of like do all this complicated reasoning, but it's not really true. They're drawing on what's natural and what isn't in the sense of what's in nature. And the idea is that sex has to be natural. So for a long time, it was that sex has to be tailored to procreation. Right? So you can't have anal sex, you can't have oral sex, you can't do coitus interruptus, which is pulling out. Right, All of those are bad because what God wants, what he's designed naturally, is for a penis to go into a vagina and ejaculate into it to make a baby. So that was it, that was the criteria. But then we had too many people in the world. And, and, and Catholics were getting upset. They were like, well, I don't wanna have any more kids. I don't want seven kids, I don't have a farm. Like, there's all these reasons that people didn't wanna have kids. So they came up with the rhythm method. So you got the rhythm method, right? And the rhythm method, this guy Latz, um, the author of the rhythm method, he spends most of the ethics section of that book, which was an enormous bestseller, because they they didn't God didn't tell people about the rhythm method until until like the twentieth century. He could have told them earlier, but he didn't. So Latz spends this whole book talking about how natural it is. And he's like, look, this is natural. These are natural cycles. Um, And there's a a great great quote. Some guys like in the Catholic church, you can use mathematics to prevent contraception, but not physics or chemistry. Right. I was like, right. It doesn't make any sense. Like, how is this? How is it natural to sort of plan your sex around rhythms? And this all goes back to the book, the holy sex book, which is that. So then if the rhythm method is natural, right, then it can't be that sex has to be directed to procreation right? Because you got a bunch of people who are having sex at at exactly the times where it won't result in procreation. So they change their understanding of what natural sex is to just depositing, it ends with depositing semen in a vagina. And in this book, there's a whole section on like, well, what about like, you know, anal sex and dildos? And basically, he's like, if you follow the one rule, and it ends in the right way, then you can do everything else. And I'm reading this book. One rule, what rule is that?
0: Deposit the semen in the vagina. So you can do all that stuff as long as when you ejaculate, it's inside a vagina. That's exactly right. And I'm reading this and I'm like, how can you say this is natural? And through <laughs> his whole book, he's saying it too. He's like,
1: you know, if you don't ejaculate, if you don't end by ejaculating the vagina, all kinds of bad things happen to you biologically, right? Your serotonin levels go down or whatever. All the same kinds of rationalizations that people give whenever they're trying to show that something was designed by nature to be a certain way. Um, And to me again, it's like, no, with abortion or with contraception or whatever, we should be asking ourselves, what, what works? What is it that we want and what is it that works? And that's a complicated question. It's gonna be different depending on your culture,
0: depending on the needs that you have at any given time in history, right? It's also, there's an inherent problem with religion is that a lot of what they're doing is just controlling. They're controlling people. And what people want is freedom. They want the freedom to be able to do whatever they want. If two people get together and they just want to use dildos on each other, why, did, why, was any, why would anybody have a problem with that? The, do, do you want to do it? Does she want to do it? Everybody's happy? Have a good time. Like, that, I, why does God care if God invented dildos? <laughs> right? God well, that's, that goes back to the natural yes. thing, right?
1: So that's exactly right. So now God, they'll be like, no, God didn't invent dildos. People
0: invented dildos. God invented the idea of dildos. Every idea that you have comes <laughs> from God. Don't ask me to defend stuff. I God crazy. invented people. People invented strap-ons. Right. God invented strap-ons. But,
1: so, but here's the thing, right? Again, and this goes back to my changing my mind, is that there is some way in which you can use what's natural as a kind of criteria. Um, that there, there's actually this idea called the environment of evolutionary adaptedness, the EEA. And what this says is basically, you know, there's a vague time, uh, that that sort of determines how humans evolved, right? So there are certain things that humans have evolved for and they evolve for those things in the environment of evolutionary adaptedness. And so then when we depart from that environment, when we put vending machines in places or when we give people books to read, one hypothesis you can have is that maybe that will have negative consequences for us because we're not adapted for it, right? So that, that's a fine hypothesis generating heuristic right but what people do instead is they decide beforehand that it's necessarily bad if it wasn't in the environment of evolutionary adaptiveness, if god you know if it, if it wasn't there in the garden of eden then it must be bad right um and that's and that's so so it's not it's not necessarily bad to say well hey is this is this thing is it natural like is it is it something that we are evolved to deal with but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know if it's not natural that it's bad. It just means maybe that we need a way to deal with it. I mean, a good example is reading Reading things. I don't know. You don't have glasses on. I don't know if you have contact lenses. Um, but No, but I need glasses to read. <laughs> yeah. So like reading is not natural. Right. That's just not yeah. a natural thing. Good and there's, there's a bad result, right? Which yeah. is that we have worse vision yeah. because we're squinting at things. But we fixed it. We came up with glasses and we're good. Now, So that's it. So that's great. Now we get reading, which is awesome, you know, and like looking at small things all the time. And we fixed it with glasses. So that's terrific. Now, if the result had been that like our eyeballs melted and we couldn't figure out how to solve that
0: problem. Reading would be bad. Reading would be bad. Right. Knowledge would be bad. Be the devil's work because it kills your eyeballs because God doesn't want you to (laughs) know anything more than what he put in your head. And that's exactly what people Mm. would say, though. They'd be like, if
1: reading melted your eyeballs, people would be like, well, of course it does.
0: It's unnatural. Well, that wasn't that the argument that they used during the time of Martin Luther to keep people from reading his phonetic interpretation of the Bible? The anti-reading thing goes back
1: to Socrates, which actually sounds a little bit like some of the stuff you were saying about dialogue, where he says if you have you know, – I'm paraphrasing, not my area of expertise um, – if you have the written word, this is going to be a disaster because one of the things that happens with the written word is it can't respond to the interlocutor. This is mm. what he says. So when you write things down, instead of saying them, people are going to take that and interpret it for themselves. It's going to be terrible.
0: You know, of course, there's this is paradox because you're reading it. <laughs> but it's good and it, and it can be bad. I mean, that's really what it is. That's but it mean. is it, it is also incredibly valuable. To, for just for storing information, just for distributing information, it's unprecedented. It's changed the world, but it also can be bad because it. It, it can have a distorted version of the reality of what you're writing about. Right, that's exactly it. And that's you know, I think that I, I think the reflexiveness
1: of wanting. So I'm sort of, I think I'm slowly turning into an evangelical agnostic. I think this is what I am I, because like I, the, the the baseline. The baseline should be uncertainty, I think. I think yeah. the world is an uncertain and mysterious place, and that's a wonderful thing, right? Wonder Wonder is a word that actually has built into it both loving the world, right, like this is wonderful, but it also means you don't know, I wonder, right? Yeah. There's a way in which wonder is tied to doubt and uncertainty, and that, I wish that were our default position, global uncertainty. I don't know what's going on. This is a mysterious place. I want to figure it out. And then local certainties, right? You have a decision you need to make at a given time. And you're like, you know what? Given what I know, looks like the right thing to do here or the right thing to believe here is this. But that certainty shouldn't be the default it should be local yes. certainty global uncertainty well
0: there's things you're certain of and there's things that you aren't certain of and it's very important to be clear on the difference between those and not attach yourself to whether or not you're you're correct or incorrect because human beings with with language and with dialogue we we're playing a game like if you and I were in dispute about something And even if you were correct, if my ego got involved, I would want to be correct. So I would try to manipulate my version of reality in order to trounce you. And people do that. Absolutely. It's a horrible thing to do. And it's it's a message that I try to get out as much as possible. You are not your ideas and you cannot be married to them. You have to, if you're wrong, if something's you like, oh, I thought it was this. I am very quick to say that. And it's it's something that I've developed. It's something that I have uh, I've worked very hard to cultivate, to not be attached to any idea that I have or that I espouse, and that if I'm incorrect, to say very, very quickly, as soon as I find out, I'm incorrect about this, i me correct this. It's so
1: messed up that with politicians, for example, people accuse a politician of flip-flopping, yeah. as if it's, it's like, no, you don't wanna log, actually, if there's someone who has the sort of wherewithal to
0: change their mind, why yeah. would we shame them? For saying, whoa, well, you know, it's I, obvious to, you know I was wrong. <laughs> politics are a game. It's a game of victory. I mean, it's, a, it's not just a game. It's a game with time periods, right? You have, you have till November. You have X amount of weeks. You have your primaries are coming up. These, these, it's, it really is a game. So there's very little room for nuance. You have a time period. I mean, eh, buzzers up. You right. miss the three point. You, the game's over. You know, it doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. It's about winning. I
1: just don't get the why people de- – I mean, I guess I do and I don't get it, right? But why would you demand that of your politicians, right? So if I'm looking at a politician, what what I would want – and not just a politician, right? A teacher, a friend. I'm looking for someone who is able to who is able to change their mind, whose ego isn't wrapped up with sticking to their guns, whatever happens,
0: right? And the pro- yet- Isn't the problem with their, their opponents, though? Because their opponents are the ones who are going to call them out on it. Yeah, well, their it's opponents the will call them out. Public. But what if the
1: general public was like – Stop calling him out for changing his mind, you moron. It was awesome that he changed his mind. Well, if you say it that way, it's going to create more problems. You're right. <laughs> oh, see, I just did it. I just did it. It's normal. normal. It's, it's normal, normal to lapse. Oh, it's yeah. those
0: people who are bad, right? If we just get well, rid of those people, Joe, we'll solve a reality. You're, you're just enthusiastically <laughs> expressing yourself, but you're doing so you know, with an insult. You know what? Okay, so one of the things I do, you know how you have like the junk, the, the, the junkie
1: folder? Yes. So to remind myself of how blind I might be and how I could like how I need to change my mind. Right. I I talk about this with my students, but I keep it with myself. I actually have a, I have a, this is touchy. I have a Confederate monument in my wallet right here. So I keep, I don't know if you know, so the Confederate $2 bill.
0: Oh, wow. That's a real Confederate $2 bill. That's a
1: Confederate $2 bill. And that guy on it right there, that's Judah Benjamin that he's the, he's the only Jew Whoever made it onto American currency, if you want to call it. And it's Confederate it's money? It's Confederate money. Can I see that?
0: Yeah. Go for it. What so, year is this from? I
1: uh, <laughs> sometimes, Let's see. What does it say on there? I don't remember the exact year
0: on the bill. This is weird, man. Um, it's, it's paper. Yes, yeah, paper. But and, I mean, it's like really flimsy paper. I would think you would want to like keep this under glass or something. No, it's not. I mean, they're not like super valuable. It's not? No. But, but it's here, historically, I mean... It's so touchy, right? Even saying anything about Confederates, like, like, of course it's not valuable, you fucking idiot. But they
1: they won't do that. I'll tell you why. Because here's why I keep that in my wallet. People won't do that. I mean, maybe they'll take that soundbite and it'll get ultra processed and people will be like, he was arguing for Confederate monuments. But that's that's stupid because I keep that in my wallet because that guy celebrated Passover. That guy celebrated Passover, which is a Jewish holiday all about how slavery was bad.
0: Meanwhile, it looks like he's got a little Hitler mustache. He
1: had, he had slaves. Whoa. So here's this guy who's a Jew in America in the 1800s, who's, who's one of his most important holidays, is a celebration of the Jews' liberation from slavery, yeah. who had, most likely, slaves in his house serving him the Passover dishes and certainly washing them. Jesus. And what that means to me, at least is like, there's going to be something in my life that I'm as blind to as that guy was to the evils of slavery. And if you can have your most important holiday, be a holiday where you're celebrating the liberation of your people from slavery and still end up on a fucking Confederate bill, like, crazy. <laughs> God knows what we're blind to right yeah, now, right? Like, crazy. what is it that we're not seeing right now? What and people I, can justify
0: is very strange.
1: Right, and it, yeah. and it means that, it means that no matter what, there's probably some kind of thing that that 100 years from now is going to seem like, how could Alan, how could this idiot have not seen that,
0: right? It was right yeah. in front of his eyes. Yeah. What do you think that thing would be? Have you ever tried to think about it? Yeah. I have tried to think about
1: what it. What do you think it would be? Well, so there's a, there's a couple of things I think it could be. One of them is the fact that we've essentially exported slave labor. Right. So, You know, people are going to be like, all these people who were talking about how slavery is bad, right? And chattel slavery is a very, very different thing from other kinds of slavery. But there are ways in which people are trapped in horrific situations who are manufacturing the goods that I have. Now, it gets complicated, right? Because people are like, well, you know, that's better that than no job at all. I'm not sure exactly how it all plays out, but I can imagine a future in which people look back at, at me and you and the things we are consuming and saying, how were they
0: blind to the conditions in which those items were produced? Sure. Well, one of the best examples is someone tweeting about slavery on an iPhone that's made by someone who works at Foxconn, who has these giant nets around the building to keep people from jumping off because they live such horrific lives that they they leap to their death so often they have to... Protect the building with nets.
1: And this is the exact point at which if you wanted to ultra process this conversation, you'd take that soundbite and you'd say, look at these two assholes comparing working in a Foxconn factory to chattel slavery.
0: Yes. Which is precisely not... Explain chattel slavery. people Chattel slavery. That.
1: Well, so sometimes... So for example, when people are trying to justify the Bible and the fact that like, so why didn't Jesus, here's this guy who came down and he, you know, shocked everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Why didn't he also say like, you know, also slaves need to be released ASAP. Yeah. Slavery is bad. He didn't say that. So one of the things people will point out is that there are different forms of slavery. So chattel slavery specifically where, where people are turned into property and bought and sold and have no opportunity to earn their freedom is a, sort of, is a specific kind of slavery that was the kind of slavery we had in the United States. It's uniquely horrifically bad. And so that kind of slavery is not the same thing as working in a Foxconn factory. But, you know, when I think about, you know, I'm thinking about this right here. I am on like, you know, what's going to happen when that parallel gets made? You know, I think it's actually an instructive parallel, right? Like, I'd like us to think about what, you know, how we're the goods that we're using and consuming and where they're made. I also don't want people to think that for a moment that chattel slavery is
0: the same thing as working in a Foxconn factory. No, it most certainly isn't. Um, but it is. But it's bad. It's bad. Working in a Foxconn factory is bad. Or you Joel, don't want your children to be
1: there. Joel Salatin will tell yeah. you. Uh, another thing is is uh, is eating is eating factory farmed animals. Yes. I mean, I I it it it, it it's messed up. I I, I don't know. Like I, I do it. You know, I go out. I eat I eat meat that I know comes from a place. You know where the animals are not treated, where they're in hell. It's animal hell you know and we have these animal hells um when and, do you do that I'm, i mean just yesterday when i went out and ate like baby back ribs <laughs> down the street i guarantee those baby back ribs didn't come from uh Joel Salton's polyface farm right. um and i think that i you know it's that's something i think about but i but i do it anyway i can imagine a time when we look back on our current eating habits and we're like why wasn't everyone arguing for ethically sourced meat, like right. how was it that that people didn't didn't want to, f- you know, force everyone collectively to pay more for meat that was raised in a way like the kind of way that Salatin pioneers? Right, In this I'm really on board with Salatin. I think he's I think he's right to say, look, there there are contexts in which animals are happier and less happy. And they're happier
0: on my farm, and they're fucking miserable. <laughs> but I thought it was very interesting in your book when you talk about Michael Pollan. Pressing him on whether or not you could feed New York City that way. And he's like, do you really need New York City? Yeah. Well, so Salton, like, <laughs> Salton's got it right. So this yeah. is, well,
1: and Salton thinks, I mean, he thinks about this, right? Like yes. you saw in the book in explicitly divine terms, right? Yes. God has designed the world. But I'll tell you, this is a story I tell at the end of the book. I was eating Salton's delicious pork. I mean, It was incre- it's an incredible place, Polyface Farms. And I was eating his pork and like the people there are awesome, he's awesome. And he announces to everyone, he says, look, we're going to be doing a bit of a change. We have a new thing that we're going to be doing we are going to be producing chickens for a growing segment of our market that doesn't want soy fed to their chickens. So Salton's chickens get a lot of their calories, not from his farm. They get a a significant portion of their calories from non-GMO soy that's grown at another place outside of polyface, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not a self-contained system. He says, but there's some people that don't want soy fed to their chickens. They feel like they react to soy. They don't want it. So they're going to start feeding their chickens. There's a certain percentage of Salton's chickens. He's going to start feeding fish meal, ground fish meal. So afterward, I went up to him. and I was like, you know, Joel, that doesn't seem very natural. Like do chickens eat? They, they swim. Like, yeah, right. Like how are they getting a hold of this fish? And you know what? He looked at me and he said, I'm a hypocrite. You know, I'm a hypocrite like anyone else, but at least I admit it. And what I wanted to say to him was there's nothing wrong with feeding your chickens fish meal if some people want chickens that are fed fish meal and you're treating your chickens in a way you think is ethical, there's not some kind of purity test that you need to apply to your farm, even though it's on a road called Pure Meadows Lane, right? But it's like, you don't need a purity test for your farm. You're, you're a good guy who cares. I mean, I really think he's a guy who really cares about his animals. I do too. You know? And, and it just kind of made me sad that he thought
0: of that as some sort of hypocrisy. Well, the only hypocrisy that you could see in it is factory farmed fish is awful. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really bad. I mean, it's bad for the environment. It's bad for the fish. It's there's, there's not a lot of sustainable factory farm fish operations. It wouldn't make you wince if you actually saw how they process all that fish meal. So t- I, I, factory farm fish. So another thing, I didn't know any
1: of this stuff until I started this research. So I'll tell you a story, crazy story. I was in the Netherlands researching the food chapter of this book, which is about vanilla, which I could talk to you about vanilla, which sounds very boring, right? Which is why I picked it. It's vanilla. Um, I'm researching vanilla, and people want natural vanilla. And I don't know if you know, do you know where vanilla comes from? Vanilla beans? Yeah. Do you know where those come from? No. That was, that was, the, end of my, that was the end of the line for me, right? So we've got right. vanilla beans in the house. So they, they are actually on an orchid. This beautiful white orchid mm. vine is where vanilla beans that grow. That makes
0: sense. Vanilla ice cream has that orchid on the... Yeah. 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 All of a sudden, I was like, oh, wait, that's why my yeah. yogurt looks like that.
1: Every single one of those is artificially inseminated. So there's a person who goes and you can watch YouTube videos of it's crazy. Have they always been like that? No. So vanilla used to be only in Mesoamerica. That was the only place where it grew, naturally right? That's the only, so everyone thinks of Madagascar, right? Madagascar vanilla. Only place vanilla was growing was in Mesoamerica. It was these Mayan silviculturists, which is like forest gardeners who had, who, who grew this. And it was pollinated by its only known natural pollinator, which was this thing called a melopana bee. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but whatever. Mm. So that's the only place it was. And when people came from Europe, they were like, this is incredible, vanilla, amazing. And they wanted to grow it, but they couldn't because they didn't know how to pollinate it. And then a 12-year-old slave named Edmund Albius discovered how to artificially pollinate vanilla flowers. And just like that, you now have the ability to grow vanilla orchids in in non-natural habitats, right? So it's still expensive. Because you can only grow them in Madagascar Tahiti. I don't know if you know this, but like, you know, they're they're, uh, uh, vanilla beans are incredibly expensive. Natural vanilla is just really expensive ingredient. Um, And that's because there's not a lot of places it can be grown. So they're looking for ways to make natural vanilla cheaper. And the Netherlands is where all of the best growing technology or a lot of the best growing technology is. So I went to a university there where they have a greenhouse where they're growing vanilla orchids, pineapples, bell peppers like coconuts I mean you name it everything they figured out how to grow all of these natural plants right but I'm, I'm sitting in here and I'm like you got vanilla orchids growing out of these buckets in this highly technological environment you know it's all temperature controlled right and for what so that you can have cheap vanilla beans that, are, that can be labeled legally natural and that whole story comes back to the salmon and the fish that you were talking about mm. before because in that same place there was a machine like at a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with like pink sludge whooshing through it. This was, you know, a couple of, couple of places down from the, from the vanilla orchid house. And I was like, what's that? And the guy who's showing me around says that's algae that we're growing here because people want their salmon, their farmed salmon to be pink. And it's not pink because it doesn't eat the diet that it gets in nature. So it's naturally gray, but people, people won't pay for that. So he's farming algae which is natural, so he's, that's the stuff, the pink stuff. And then they feed that to the farmed salmon just so it can be naturally pink. So when you go into your Whole Foods or whatever and you see that your salmon is all natural and it's pink, th- th- and I'm just looking, I'm looking at this whole thing and I'm like, what is wrong with us human beings that we've gotten to this point where we like, we want stuff natural so bad that we're developing new technologies to
0: figure out how to like, well, ha- die, have our cake and eat it too. salmon, it's really an orange, but they diet. it.
1: They do. The, yeah, yeah, the orange, just orange-pinkish color. But the, the, there's also a way – so astaxanthin, I think, is, is the is chemical that – and then you can have it artificially, but then people don't want artificial Can't
0: they just feed them color. the
1: bugs that they eat that way, make them – Way too expensive. Really? Yeah, for when you want it on that scale. Oh. So they feed them this algae. And, and I'm like, I was get, like, get, I get what we're doing. I get what we want, right? We want stuff that's better for the planet. We want natural and so then yeah so what do we do so what but it's so complicated right like yeah. what you were saying like what do we do with factory farm fish you're like what you were saying about Joel Salatin how do you get how do you get Joel Salatin's meat to people that can't afford it right how do you i if i knew the well some people would say lab grown meat right so that's the, but that's not the same as Joel Salatin's no. meat at least well, not for now
0: <laughs> not for now i'm really curious about lab grown meat i'm not curious about um the like impossible burger type stuff because i just it's not It's neither. First of all, I don't like the idea of pretending something's meat if you don't want to eat meat. It just seems ridiculous. And I get it as sort of like, you know, I mean, it's like a gateway drug, you know, Like like you're tricking people into becoming vegetarian by giving them a burger. And like, look, you can have a burger and still be vegetarian. Look, we've got you. But that's not healthy. Like, if you want to eat healthy vegetables, you should eat vegetables. You should eat vegetable dishes that are actually made with vegetables. Well, so what's meat? What, what do you think counts as real meat? Like, if you grow a steak in a vat? Yeah, that's interesting. I think that, well, they are probably going to be able to do that with alarming accuracy within the next 10 years, where they're going to make a ribeye. Like, it's going to have marbling. It's going to taste like a ribeye. And I'm all 100% down for that. I'm 100% down for that. Do, you get to, do we get to call that steak? Because yeah. the steak lobby,
1: there's going to be a meat lobby that's like, you know, it's like the almond milk, yeah. you can't call it milk. There's going to be a bunch of people right. that are like,
0: unless it came from a cow. Yeah, well, the almond milk lobby, I mean, they're right uh, for, for right. milk. You mean it's not milk? It's not milk. Like, milk has to come from a breast. Like, it's, it's absolutely not milk. Well, doesn't a steak have to come from a creature? Well, it comes from a lab, but it essentially has the exact same properties as a steak. That's the difference. Almond milk is in no way, shape, or form <laughs> I, milk. It's not milk. It's weird water. You've just done some weird shit to water to make it white. You know, it's not milk. But if you can recreate steak, if you can do like if you can three D print steak, it's still going to be steak. Now, if you're the type of person that wants to eat the soul of the animal and you want you want you want to be there when the animal gets killed and you wanna take slice the piece off and throw it on the fire and you wanna know, you wanna be like boots to the ground and know. Well that's a different thing. You're you're asking for a different thing. But if you're if you're asking for meat that has the same amount of essential fatty acids as a grass fed ribeye steak, you can do that, I think. I think they're probably going to be able to do that. This it's interesting though, like the,
1: the the way,
0: so talking about what counts as a
1: steak, right? This idea, I mean, naturalness again comes in here because the word nature, right? It it actually means birth, natura, origins. So naturalness has to do with the origins of a thing. And we think about origins a lot when we think about what a thing is, right? We wanna know where it came from. And that tells us what it is, right? And so with a steak, there's gonna be a lot of people who are gonna say, you can't call it a steak. Unless its origin is a cow. And there's going to be other people who are going to say, no, if, it's, if, it, if, if it looks just like and is chemically composed identically to a steak that comes from an animal, then it's an animal. But I'll give you an example to push back on what you were saying a little bit. Take, uh, take a lab-grown diamond. I mean, I guess, well, actually, oh, no. I think I might have put my foot in my mouth. Some is girls that... don't like
0: that. I've yep. had this conversation. Yeah, They well, get so upset.
1: It's because it's not the same thing.
0: Well, it's cheaper. That's the only reason why. <laughs> no, it's, it's magical. <laughs> they, no, they want you to pay for something. <laughs> they want a slave to dig that thing out of the side of a fucking mountain. There's something weird about that. Like, well,
1: don't, you, don't you think there's also a romance to the idea of a mineral that was made by pressures under the earth over millions of years? You think it's just about
0: price? I think there maybe is some romance to that. But I think with women... There's something nonsensical that's been drilled. Not not all women, sorry, if you're one. "Ah, Don't fucking generalize. I'm not. I swear to God. But I think some women have this idea that's been drilled in their head by marketing that you should spend three months of your fucking salary on a rock and it's complete nonsense. First of all, if you understand the De Beers like what what they've done with the diamond market and you probably do, you know, it's like r- ridiculously overinflated. There's far more diamonds. They're far more efficient at getting diamonds out of the ground than they ever were before. So they have this insane backlog of diamonds. I mean, w- w- diamonds aren't rare, like but they're stupid expensive and they really shouldn't be. But they've done an amazing job of keeping them stupid expensive. That said, if someone can artificially create something that's absolutely indistinguishable from a diamond, there's a part of some women that will think that because that was created by a machine, it's not as valuable, it doesn't mean as much, and it's not worthy of the same sort of appreciation and, and, and you know, this this weird thing that women have with you. I'm sure you've seen women look at each other's rings and like check out the rings. It's, it's a symbol of so many different things. It's like, how much does your man love you? How wealthy is he? How, how well did you do in choosing a mate? There's so many things involved with this ridiculous ritual of diamond rings that for whatever reason, those women that have fallen into this nonsense They're not interested in some sort of a workaround, you know, some sort of a 3D printed diamond ring. Even if it's perfect, they don't want it. It's marketing.
1: I don't know. I don't know, man. For me, I mean, maybe if I was being given a a diamond ring and Mm -hmm. the prices were identical, I think, and this is where I changed my mind, right? This is about where the naturalness stuff comes in again, right? That stone, that pyrite, even if making that gold cube... Were actually more expensive than getting it out of the ground. There's something about where it came from that enchants it, right? yes. That sort of makes it magical. That's what well, that's part of Yellowstone, right? Is that you know they talk about okay the genetics of our you know our bison mm-hmm. are are they don't come from outside of here, right? even if it's indistinguishable to people looking in mm-hmm. at the animals. There's something about maintaining genealogical purity or something like that, that something came from somewhere, which I think drives, I mean, you're probably right. I don't know. It all goes back to economics, right? Like the steak people, like maybe the steak farmers don't actually care about it. But I think Joel Salton would be
0: like, no, don't call that a steak. He would say, don't call that a steak. And he'd say, it's not a steak because it doesn't come from a cow. No, I'm sure he would, but let me push back on the genealogical thing, because Yellowstone in particular has some of the most domesticated elk that you'll ever be around. It's so bizarre. I was there with my children, and we were taking selfies with the elk, and they were like 30 or 40 feet away from us, or it was probably more like 20 yards, but close enough that in nature, that would fucking never happen. They would run like hell if they saw people. Or they saw any animal that looked like it was uh, an eyes facing forward predator. And in Yellowstone, they're so accustomed to people and they've actually adapted their behavior to congregate around the parks because they're less likely to be uh, killed by wolves there. So they'll go around these like visitor areas, and there was a fucking vending machine, and then 30 yards away from the vending machine is an elk. And I have a photo of me standing in front of this Coca-Cola machine looking like this, and then behind me is an elk. You you, you know they used to feed the bears there? Oh, yeah. yeah I was like... there when they fed the no. bears. Yes. When I was a kid, me and my parents <gasps> went through Yellowstone. When I was like seven or eight years old and there was cars in front of us that would put food out the windows and the bears would put their paw on the car and take food from them. I think the,
1: I think the elk example is a good one for, I mean, may, I, I might be wrong, but for what I was arguing, which is that you seeing the domesticated elk there, right? If Yellowstone, for me, when I
0: visited, right? It was like. Look at this. Look at these bears. Yeah, it's really? incredible. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, so strange. Yeah, I witnessed this firsthand when I was a kid. It's. it's, they, would, it's not, they would. They would also congregate. On, look at that. That's really uh, crazy. Oh look at this lady. Out of her fucking mind. She's gonna climb out of the thing. The I'm sure a lot of people got killed that way too. By the way. This was. They were the heads of the people that like headed up Yellowstone. Encouraged this stuff. Yeah, they didn't know any better. Right. Well, that took a while before they figured that out. Right. And also, you know. The, the bears, the problem is they, bears are uniquely, um, they, they have habits that they form in terms of where they get their food, which is why it's really a problem if a bear gets into your garbage, because they'll never stop going into your garbage. You have to, they have to, have to kidnap the bear and move it to a zoo or take it to another mountain really far, far away, or they have to kill it. Like, there's no other way. So this is the elk that you saw mm-hmm. at that vending
1: machine. And you tell me, I'm curious how you felt about it. To me, seeing that kind of thing in Yellowstone is a little disappointing. And it's disappointing because I think of Yellowstone as like, you know, and it's advertised this way, right? Come here to see, and it's on all
0: the books and the tourist shops, Mm -hmm. but come here to see pure nature. Okay. First of all, there's no way. There's no way you're going to have buildings and cars in pure nature. It's not real. Um, I... I'm a hunter, so I go into the woods. I get most of my meat from mountains. I, I bow hunt. So, And one of the reasons why I do this, I started out in 2012 because I was either going to become a vegetarian or I was going to become a hunter. <laughs> I was watching too many of these PETA videos, and I was like, this factory farming thing, it's insane. Once you know, once you see it, you can't so, unsee so it. Oh, this is something you, you are also. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had just I had tried to figure out a way to – I had to – And morally, I was coming to this point in the road where I was like, I've got to do something. I I either have to figure out a way to acquire my own meat and and be comfortable enough. Like, I've never killed an animal. I mean, I need to be able to kill this animal and eat it and be comfortable with it or not. Like, I don't know if I am. and once I went hunting, I realized, okay, this is probably the most insanely connected way. And it really hits some switches inside of your body, inside of your, your DNA that I didn't even know were there. And these switches that like connect you, it's almost like a psychedelic experience. It's very strange. Like being in the wilderness stalking an animal and locking eyes with it and hunting it and then wind up eating it over a fire – it's it's all these switches go off. It's very strange in a very positive way in a in a very reverential way like you re- Revere this animal like you 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 appreciate it in this really intense way, but these are wild wild animals You're domesticating an animal if they're hanging out on a lawn like I was uh, looking at a house once in Colorado with uh, my family and we went out into the backyard and there was a giant deer like a huge buck that was just standing there staring at us and it was in boulder colorado and i don't know if you've ever been to boulder colorado but it's like a lot of hippies and obviously no one's hunting in boulder colorado so these deer are completely relaxed they're just chilling (laughs) and so this deer is i mean no more than a hundred feet away from us just staring at us just looking at us and then just moves around a little and eats some grass and looks at us again. And my wife was like, I didn't even think that was real. I thought it was a statue until it started moving. I would never kill that deer. Not in a fucking million years. I would, I would, that's like killing someone's dog. There's no way. I mean, I would have to be starving to kill that deer. But if I was in the woods and I saw a deer that big, I would be very excited. I'd be like, wow, that's like hundreds of pounds of meat look at the size of that deer it's an amazing specimen and it's a big old mature deer which means that it's passed its genes on for many many years and a deer only has if they're really lucky they have nine ten years and then they get killed by wolves or mountain lions or whatever that would be the perfect animal to hunt but in this scenario i there was none of those switches went off i'm like that's a domesticated animal that might as well be uh, you know a chihuahua
1: Right yeah. yeah and it feels and that's and that's part of the criteria you're using for whether it's okay to kill yes. it I mean that's one of the things with the bison hunt in in Yellowstone that seems so weird right it's, it's like these bizarre it's, it's you know these animals yeah. that have no idea what's waiting for them yeah. cross this line
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then all of a sudden they're magically available
0: to be shot. That's a complicated issue. One of the reasons why that's a complicated issue is because buffalo contain brucellosis. They, they have brucellosis, which can be very dangerous to domestic cattle. And whether or not they transmit it to domestic cattle, the same argument could be said about elk. Um, they also occasionally have brucellosis and there's a lot of ranchers who want to shoot elk that wind up eating their hay and eating their grass. So when these bison drift off of Yellowstone and they go into public land or they go into private land, it's a it's an issue of resources oftentimes. Oh
1: you gotta cull, you have yeah. to cull them. I'm I'm just thinking of this and I'm not a hunter. Although interestingly, I went to Yellowstone again, right? This is this whole I'm not sure about stuff. I I didn't know anything about hunting. I assumed hunting was I don't know, bad like people go out, they kill endangered species, right? Like whatever I had seen, that was it. And when I went to Yellowstone, you know, when I discovered that Doug Smith, who's the guy that reintroduced wolves to Yellowstone, when he, he was like, I hunt, you know, and like my first reaction was, what, wait, what?" I thought you loved him. Like, how could this man who cares about nature and, you know, and what became clear as you as you know, and like many hunters know, is that it doesn't work like that. Hunting doesn't mean you don't care about nature. It doesn't mean you don't care about animals. Um, and that and that was a real that was a wake up call for me that i didn't understand um you know how people relate to the natural world and that i had been fed a kind of i don't know oversimplified ultra processed you know. version of 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 what it was to hunt at the same time with those bison you got to cull them right so you got to get rid of them and like you said right there's this resource you know you don't want them wandering on a rancher's land and that's something that you know the people in yellowstone will you know activists are happy to tell you yes these kinds of things are problems as a hunter, though, I imagine that you wouldn't be super excited to just like camp out and shoot a bison as it wandered into, like, slowly into. I mean, I don't know, it would be, you?
0: It would only be for me. You mean it would be that you wanted organic meat right. and you wanted to be able to do it that way. But not it's, the excitement of no, what you were talking about. it wouldn't about. be predator versus prey and it wouldn't be what you would call fair chase. Right. You know, and that's, I mean, it would be technically fair chase because the animal does wander out, but you have to admit that those animals have been grossly domesticated. I mean, when we were in Yellowstone, bison were everywhere. You could you could just stand there and stare at them. I brought binoculars. so I was handing them to my kids and they're yeah. standing like, look at this one over here. And they're like, you know, they weren't even remotely concerned about us i mean that's also why um a 70 year old woman was gored just three days ago because this crazy lady decided she wanted to take a selfie with a fucking bison (laughs) you know there are wild animals i mean they are wild but they're not wild like a wild animal they're not wild like a wild animal that doesn't have a, a real relationship with people but bison this is where it's this is where it's tricky when there was no Yellowstone and when there was no, you know, no place where they could be domesticated, they were still an easy animal to hunt. Right. They've always been easy because they're so big that they're not concerned about wolves. They're not concerned about anything. In fact, one of the ways that Native Americans would hunt them is they would kill wolves and they would wear a wolf coat and they would crawl around like a wolf or a coyote cult. So they would put it on their head, and they would walk on all fours up close to it and then shoot it with a bow and arrow. Yeah. And there's actually a famous painting of uh, this Wild West famous painting of these two Native American hunters that are wearing these coyote skins, and they're crawling in this field up to this, these bison. And a friend of mine, who was a my friend Remy Warren, who's a host of a television show called Apex Predator, actually used this method to to hunt a bison. A you wild, mean like I had a yes. like put on? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually put a coyote skin on and crawled up to a bison, to a free range bison, and hunted it this way, just to see if it work would work just like this famous painting. So bison, one of the reasons why you know, they were able to almost uh, extirpate them from the United States was that they're really easy to hunt because they're not scared of anything. No, nothing can fuck with them in the real world. Because in the real wild world, wolves can't fuck with bisons. They'll stomp a wolf, the wolf doesn't even have a chance. Like, grizzly bears can, and they have. And there's actually a video, really recently, from about a month ago, of a grizzly bear killing a bison in Yellowstone while all these people were watching. There's cars parked, and this fucking grizzly bear jumps on the (laughs) back of a bison and is bringing it down. It's a long, there it is right there. It's a long, drawn out process, too. That's a small bison, but, you know, big enough. And this bear is fucking huge. And look at this bear is like, I mean, it's like, that's probably like a two-year-old bison or something like that. It's not like a full-grown bison. But, I mean, this is all, this this video is like seven minutes, How what is it long? Or oh, It's one fourteen. there. Edited, it's edited, yeah. So, I mean, you see him in all these different scenes, It's these cut scenes, and here he's, he finally gets him, uh, and he kills him in this river. But... He's attacking them on a bridge, he's attacking them on a road, it's a long, drawn out process for this grizzly bear to kill this bison. Yeah. So they don't really have that much to worry about, calves have to worry. So this is the video, that's the, the excuse me, the painting, yeah, that's yeah. the famous painting. And see, bisons have zero concern for wolves, because they'll just stomp them. I mean, they're, they're enormous animals, and their hide can be like 12 inches thick of hair. I mean, especially in the wintertime, like the Native Americans that would wear the bison robes, like it was the most incredible protection for, from cold. Because you're, you're wearing this insane natural thing that has shielded bison to the point where they can just walk out in a blizzard. They don't give a fuck. They're not even a little concerned about it.
1: That, I, that painting, and I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. Like he's talking about that. It was on the cover of a book called The Ecological Indian, I think oh. it's called, by a guy named Shepard Kretsch, which is, uh, he was looking at the history. I mean, for one, speaking of Native Americans in Yellowstone, how crazy is it that because we think of natural as not human involved, one of the things to make Yellowstone natural is you got rid of all of the like humans yeah,
0: yeah, right. that
1: were living there yeah. naturally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember I went, there was actually, when I was there, there was a hunting blind that was left over from when Native Americans... We're in Yellowstone, and really? my guide. Yeah, it was really cool. My guide showed me just like a, it's you know, just a little hunting blind that they would use, and it, it would also, yeah, again, right. It made me realize, right, Yellowstone is not pure nature. That even our understanding of of nature and naturalness, if you get rid of like getting rid of humans, right, is getting rid of a part of the naturalness of what this place was
0: before or just having humans in cars in close right, proximity on to these animals yep. and getting them conditioned to it that becomes unnatural
1: but even you know and or even, does it well I th- yeah, yeah i think it does right i used to i i i i would have wanted to say a long time ago oh no there's no such difference but yeah no man a fucking road is less natural mm-hmm. than no road yeah. i don't know like that that and the, And the same thing happened with sports, which was I mean with Yellowstone right, there is more and less natural, right and it would be sad if Yellowstone became much more unnatural. It would take away from you know if they put in like an amusement park or whatever it is they're trying to do to like figure out how to raise funds at, right. at, at these places and this it's because part of what we value about Yellowstone, even though it's impure and even though it's imperfect, is that we get we get to see something more natural
0: than, than what a we do yeah than yes. a zoo exactly it's far superior to a zoo exactly Because you can see that you can see a grizzly bear no one's feeding the grizzly bears the grizzly bear has to eat by killing that bison right that's far superior
1: and that's the same thing with uh, the same thing with sports so like i uh, that was another one of the things that really convinced me that i needed to rethink my relationship with naturalness which is that you know so i went to a i went to a Natural bodybuilding competition. Um, I know you had Ronnie Coleman on. Like, mm-hmm, I, I'd yeah. never been to a bodybuilding competition before. And so I went in, and it was a natural bodybuilding competition. And these, you know, these people were, they had, you could smell the spray tan from you know, you know, I was I was in the you know, I was mm-hmm. in the room with them backstage. I was like, these are the most unnatural people I've ever seen. Right. They've been what is it called? Sodium cycling or something to like cut their mm-hmm. subcutaneous fat so that they I mean, they've done everything you could possibly do to get their bodies into this form. And I'm i I'm, I'm like, what? This is a great example. This was going to be my example that I used to show that naturalness in sports was stupid because all it really meant was that you weren't taking a certain list of drugs right that's it that's all it meant everything else about it was unnatural right right, right. from the tans but but the the truth is that sports are about naturalness that they are a celebration of natural talent there's no way you know people call it god-given talent right which is again the the connection between god and nature but you can't have sports as we understand them without thinking about them as a celebration of what the human body can do. Right? Like when you see that guy, Alex Honnold, is that mm-hmm. his name? Yeah. When you see him free climbing like that, yeah. a part of what you're thinking, I think, I mean, it's not just that he's like, he could die, right? But it's also like, look at what the human body, un, un, you know, unaided by anything else. yeah. Look what it can do. And that's why we care when Elliot Kipchoge, um, you know, when he, run, when he runs his marathon record, it makes sense to ask, How much was in the shoes? Right. Not because I could run that fast, you know, with those shoes on. Explain what
0: you mean by that? Because
1: yeah, so 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 uh, so when you're set, you know, setting a a marathon record, there's an incredible marathoner named Elliot Kipchoge, and there are these Nike had these new shoes called Vaporflies, and he was using these shoes, and after he broke the marathon record, just shattered it. People were like, "Wait a second, how much of that can be attributed to him?" And how much of it is just the technology in the shoes, right? And, and this set off, again, one of these like back and forth that was totally useless online where some people were like, I can't believe you're taking his accomplishment away from him. And other people were like, it's all, you know, it's obviously the shoes. But, but for me, it's just a, it's a broader conversation about, well, so what is it that we care about in sports, right? Mm-hmm. If you put a pair of shoes on someone and all of a sudden they're 5%, 10% faster
0: that matters, right? Jamie, you actually know about this, right? You were you're a runner. What is, yeah, I have what is them.
2: Or I have a version of it. How much they have made them. the pair he has is various very, very very specific to what he was trying to do. Is they that also, the pair he has? Yeah, they tailored the course to be specific for okay. it also. Yeah. They brought in top-level pacers to to cycle in every like 100 I don't know, probably every mile. I don't know exactly how they did it, but when they first started making these pair of shoes, they called they're called the four percent because they made it, right. made you four percent faster. Really? There's like there was a I think like a titanium plate placed in the middle of it. So like normal like even the shoe I have now, you can you can bend this in half <laughs> and whatnot. You can't mm-hmm. do this with that shoe mm. because the plates as you hit it like launches you kind of forward like a spring. Like like a it, it's not a spring, so it's it's just a very minute. Assistance, But yeah, it's the best runner in the world, it helped them get 159.40.
0: They're actually selling these uh, insoles that are made out of carbon fiber. Similar There's, to that. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, that big-ass heel on the back, which is so prepos- – my wife has a pair of those. And I'm like, what the fuck is that heel? It seems so crazy to walk around they're with that. They're
2: really weird to walk around. And I I've, I've don't think I've ever worn them here. I have a pair at home. Uh, they're specifically for running
0: on the road fast. So on the Not street printing. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's why it's got all the cushion. Right. They're very good to protect your knees. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So that's a real good question. Right. Is that how much of a factor? I would think you would fucking you'd have to wear a regular pair of shoes if you want to break a record. That's right. So this is
1: that's exactly right. So then with right. And you would never do this with a mathematician. Right. You know, if right. a mathematician had a new proof. Right. Yeah. You'd never be like, now, hold on a second. Were you drinking coffee? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait, did you like, no one, no one right. cares. Like, did you, when you invented that new car, yeah.
0: what kind of substance? You want nootropics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: No one cares because the way we evaluate mathematical, what we care about with a mathematical proof or a new invention isn't showcasing the natural talent, you know, whatever that means, because it's a tough thing to, you know, of the mathematician. Whereas with Kipchoge's record, what we're wondering at, in part is what is he doing what is he doing in a way that is separate from what his shoes are doing mm. and that means that in sports at least i have to admit that naturalness is an important factor it
0: is an important factor but it's a weird one because it's not an even slate it's not like a like it's not an even playing field Like, some people have just incredible genetic gifts, and some people don't. Now, if a person doesn't, and they take some creatine and a bunch of different substances and they, they get in a cryo tank every day after training and then they're in a sauna every day and then they're doing all these different things where they they have electronics strapped to them to try to monitor their heart rate and make sure that they're getting the exact right amount of training and no more and no less and that the recovery is perfect before they train harder. How fucking natural is that?
1: Not very natural,
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> the problem. Right, it's funny, you said the gift. Like, Isn't yeah. Phil, Phil
1: Heath, I mean I found out all this stuff about, but I think his nickname is. The gift, um, oh. and someone called uh, Randy Coleman—is that his name? Um, uh, like, like it, freak of nature, right? We'll say this about people. Ronnie, or or Ronnie, Ronnie Coleman, Coleman. Ronnie yeah. Coleman. Sorry, yeah. yeah. He's like, a, I mean, people will say like, oh, could I get like, could you get built like that? Ronnie's like,
0: the first to admit it. Yeah, yeah on the uh, podcast, he talked about it no pretty one, openly.
1: Even with what and whatever, right? This is like when I talked to one of the natural bodybuilders backstage. He mm-hmm. was like, man, I don't. If people want to juice, they can juice. There's no way, you know, he, these people are still there. You know, Ronnie Coleman's still like an incredible
0: athlete. Well, Ronnie didn't you know? choose for the many, many years right. into his bodybuilding career, and then once he started doing, he just he did it because he got tired of losing to people that he didn't think he should lose to.
1: Right. You and know? that, but it, but you know, going back to what you're saying, which is true, right, is how natural is it if you're doing all of these things? So yes, sports is impure, right? In the same way, like how fucking natural is Yellowstone? There's a road going through it. You got mm-hmm. these domesticated at like the same time you can't take that criteria away entirely, right? Or, I mean, to give you an example, right? Let's take uh, Marcus Rem, or o- Oscar Pistorius, who people know about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the
0: guy with the no the, the murderer, the yeah. murderer
1: with, with, uh, with blades. South African yeah, runner. That's right, South African runner. So you can't, like, you can't just let him put on any kind of leg. Right, like right. right, he can't have rocket launchers on right. his legs, right? right? That would be unfair. Yeah, and he can't have like you know, I pistons don't know, and pistons mechanical. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. But in, and even let's imagine that like you could just invent uh, a leg with no mechanics in it, right? But it just made him incredibly fast, much faster than any human being. You'd be right. like, nope, that's unfair. We don't allow that. That is the argument about those cheetah legs, right? That's exactly right. So then, what do you have to do? You have to test. So the, a recent case happened. They allowed Pistorius in, but there's a German guy. Uh, marcus rem who also wanted to compete and was using one of these legs and they did all these tests right and they ran tests on you know they do these pressure plates it's it's really incredible what they do to see whether his leg gives him an advantage over what a natural leg Mm. right so the baseline comparison here is does your artificial leg
0: give you an advantage over a natural leg and but then whose natural leg is it your natural yeah. leg or is it Usain Bolt's yeah. natural leg?
1: Well, I think in his, yeah, exactly. Right? So in his case, it's, it's uh, that what they tried to do with these blades is they're like, okay, let's figure out, because he's, all, you know, all of these guys are world-class athletes, right? right? So it's, if, it's some weird hypothetical, right, where if Marcus Rem had a leg, would he be performing at about the same level as he does with his artificial mm. leg? And, that, and And as weird as it is, as paradoxical as it is, I think it makes sense. Right. It it makes sense in the same. And it depends on the sport, too. Like UFC. I looked this up. So I was like, I wonder if there's anyone with an artificial limb in UFC. And then I was thinking, because I did judo and I was like, wait a second, that'd be crazy because like you couldn't like you couldn't allow someone to have like a prosthetic arm because you couldn't you couldn't like arm bar. Like you could you could just any pain. Yeah. You wouldn't feel any pain. So unlike running where I can imagine it being fair to allow someone to have an artificial limb. And that's what I mean is like fair compared to a natural limb. It would, I can't imagine a scenario in which a prosthetic arm.
0: Or even a hand. Yeah, or even a hand. Because it would be metal. That's exactly right. You You just beat the crap out of it. Yeah, you wouldn't break it. No. You would have to like, if someone had their hand replaced, you'd have to literally engineer bones that had a breaking point that were similar to organic bones. Exactly, natural, right? You'd have to engineer it to be like less good than carbon fiber bones. Right. You'd have to make it yeah. worse. Yeah.
1: And then you'd have scientists, right? You'd have you would have USC fighters who are like, "No, I still think the prosthetic hand is giving this giving this person an advantage," right? Yeah, and then that sure. person would be like, "Well, we got to call in the scientists and they're going to like do all these bone-breaking tests, you know, yeah. which is what they did with with these two athletes, mm. which is what which is what they're doing also with transgender athletes who want to compete. It's the same kind of logic, right? Which is what What is the what's the comparison between, say, and in the case of a a transgender woman who is competing, what's the baseline natural comparison? In other words, does being a transgender woman give you
0: an advantage over being a biological woman? The only difference is there's an inclination towards allowing them to compete because it makes you seem more progressive. There's a there's a motivation to allowing transgender women athletes to compete. Because if you look at the oppressive, you know, if you if you have a, a, an oppression scale, they are one level or two levels past being a bi- biological woman. Being a biological woman is more oppressed than being a biological woman. When a woman kicks a man's ass, we're all happy. When a man kicks a woman's ass, we're very upset, right? Well, with it, with, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there is right now in this
1: cultural moment, I think there's mo- in the same way that there was, you know, I mean, women didn't box in the Olympics until 2012, because for a long time, it was thought that women aren't, they're not naturally suited to boxing, right? Mm-hmm. I think the first sports they played in the Olympics were, I don't think. They did like sailing and gymnastics. Um, stuff, I mean, right? Even later, oh, earlier. like the very earliest Olympics, right. there weren't any. The guy who founded the Olympics was like, not women. Women will just, you know, mm. women will stay out of this. And right, right. now, I, I mean, I think you're right that there is because sports are so symbolically important. Right. I mean, you see this with everything, with Colin Kaepernick, with whatever. Sports are really important to people. Sports, you know, sports stars are heroes. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that a part of the transgender rights movement is going to be securing the ability for transgender athletes to compete under their the gender that they identify as. And I understand that. I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense to want that because you want cultural representation. At the same time, I don't think you're going to find, maybe you'll nutpick them, right? You can find them online. You're not going to find a lot of athletes um, who think that there shouldn't be any regulations on how transgender athletes compete. In other words, there are very few people who are actually involved in the Olympics, right? Like the, setting up the rules or whatever. I mean, I talked with a, a transgender scientist named uh, Joanna Harper about this, who studies the differences between transgender athletes and athletes who identify as their biological sex. And there's no way she would say it doesn't matter. Let anyone compete without any regulations. So the the real question on the ground, I think, that people are arguing about is not whether there should be regulations but what regulations should there be and that question i mean i don't know how i mean you probably follow this a lot but like same question is like what do you do with testosterone levels right so so duty chand right um let's say you're Mm hyperandrogynous, but you're xx chromosome
0: yeah explain that woman who's this is the the issue with her
1: yeah so so one of the things that people try to do in sports because it's important to have There's some philosophers will argue it's not, but I think it's crazy. Um, It's important to have men's sports and women's sports, right? It's important because sports are symbolically important. And we want to have women competing at the very highest levels. And we want men competing at the very highest levels. And there's a, you know, there's a significant, there's a significant, yeah, it's plus or minus 10%. They've studied this, right, depending on the sport, right? So, you know powerlifting
0: it's a huge difference um, well, there's certain sports where it's not like ultramarathon. that's but, why the IOC has banned transgender athletes from competing in powerlifting
1: so 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 that's this this stuff is it's important to have these categories right but then mm-hmm. how do you distinguish so going back to duty chand right so if you make a, a testosterone rule for example so you can only have testosterone you know, you can only compete as a woman if your
0: testosterone is below a particular level. That's the problem with that is they would have to test it every day and they would have to test it multiple times a day because it's not just how it is when you're competing. It's what it's like when you're training. So how much recovery, how much muscle have you retained? There's there's a lot of factors.
1: And, well, And in the fact that there are women who are who are X, higher, who are XX, yes. who are hyper androgynous. Yes. Right. And that's just like I mean, we we're talking about being a freak of nature right, or having a gift. Mm-hmm. There's people with high blood cell counts. Right. There's sure. people with really long arms. Arms or yep, you know, webbed yep, hands or yep. whatever. So it's like, well, and this woman actually made her argument, and, and I, I totally—I mean, it's incredible. It's really powerful when you read it. She's like, "Here I am, I have naturally high testosterone, and they're going to tell me that I have to artificially lower my natural testosterone levels so that I can compete in
0: the Olympics."
1: And, and when I'm it's a particularly that,
0: like, sexist argument too, know. because um, they, they don't do that with men right Um, there's men that have competed in the olympics that have naturally high testosterone and you know they've dominated other men and uh, Particularly uh in wrestling you know like if you see like do you know alexander Karelin is no alexander Karelin is a very famous russian wrestler who they used to call the experiment because his parents (laughs) are both like five five and five seven They're like smaller folks and he's fucking enormous and he's terrifying go to go to that picture that i put on my (laughs) instagram I put up a picture on my Instagram that I I look at this picture every couple of months or so just to remind myself what a tremendous pussy I am. Oh, my God. That's (laughs) Corellin. Corellin used to take men. I mean, we're talking about men that were 300 pounds. And uh, they would flatten themselves out on the ground to try to avoid being picked up by him. And he would scoop his hands under their belly and hoist them up in the air like they were a pillow and throw them onto the ground. Literally, look at that picture of him with the red shirt, the one right there. No, right there. Look at the size of that motherfucker. I mean, just unstoppable for years and years in the Olympics. And I mean, I don't know whether that's science or nature, but if it's just nature, you can't tell me that this guy doesn't have some kind of crazy genetic advantage that the average man just does not.
1: And that's what we celebrate,
0: right? I mean, that's what we love seeing. In some ways, yeah. You know,
1: when we watch sports, I mean, sure, Alex Honnold, like... He probably has some kind of genetic thing where he's just
0: not scared. No, of the no. same stuff, or he loves being scared. Whatever it is, right? And I don't think it's genetic at all. You know. With Alex, I've had Alex on a couple of times. Really? What yeah. is, does he, he just love it? He's uh, really loves climbing, and he the way he says it, he's like you're you're in control, and it's pretty mellow. He's like <laughs> when you know that's how he talks. He talks like really, you know, really calm and smooth, and that's how he he climbs. He's like if there's a thrill, something's really wrong. Like, if I feel like if there's a, an actual thrill, I'm kind of fucked. He goes, everything is very mellow. It's very slow and very mellow.
1: That is not that is not built
0: into me, I'd be absolutely... Yeah, I just think it's thought of a it thing that <laughs> his, his, his managing of that environment and that sort of situation is part of the thrill of it for him. It's, tra- it's trained stay, or something? Y- yes, for sure. I mean, he's been climbing forever. It's the ability to stay calm... And where he's at least subcon—well, he's consciously aware of the consequences of, of slipping and falling. But he's, a, he's figured out a way to stay in this zone. And there's some sort of a tremendous reward in staying in this zone. So much so that he wants to do it without any aid. He wants to do it without any ropes.
1: Would you be disappointed if you and I'm thinking about how I would feel, too, as I ask this question, if you found out that he took some kind of downer? To like oh, keep himself like calm a beta on the mountain. blocker. Like if
0: you found this like the steroid version yeah. of you know? Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Uh yeah. I mean beta blockers are real. I mean, beta blockers are a real problem in the world of competitive archery. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But they take beta blockers to so that when you know the shit's on the on the line and this is like the final match and they're looking at a 60 meter target, they just stay calm and they can keep their arms steady and psh, let that arrow fly. I, I didn't know
1: that, but that's, a, yeah. that's another great example of mm-hmm. what is it that you care about? Well, a part of it is you're like, okay, under normal,
0: right? What is this person's natural ability or what is yeah. their non-chemical or whatever it is, right? Whatever you want to call I've it. I've never taken beta blockers. Um, I actually, uh, I got them prescribed for me, to me once by a doctor because I wanted to try them and I wound up never trying them. I just wanted to see what it was like to do something. I just, for my own curiosity, I want to see what it was like to do something nerve wracking I was on beta blockers. Yeah, I was going to use them on a hunting trip But I didn't because I felt like I would be disappointed in myself if I did that and right. Which is really crazy because on a hunting trip you would think the most important thing is making an ethical shot but I was My thought process was I trained so hard to make an ethical shot and to to be accurate and to to practice my my, my Shot-making routine till it's a, it's like drilled into my head I don't want to take a pill, so I just and I I don't even there I still have them somewhere, I don't I don't even know if they're any good because they're like six years old, but <laughs> I, I, I want to know what that feels like. It would probably feel really weird to have no adrenaline when you know you should, you right? know. And and like what you were saying too is it takes away there are certain experiences yeah. where part of what
1: you value about the experience is how you know how you, manage it. How, you how you manage it and how yeah. you train yourself. Like you said, right? You don't want it to be a pill yeah. that did it. And that's, and sports is one of those things. Whereas it would be crazy to, you know, to think to yourself, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Well, this is, it's funny, right? Childbirth, right? So it'd be crazy to go to the dentist's office and be like, you know, I'd be really disappointed in myself if the way I manage this filling is by using, uh, you know, Novocaine. La- yeah, Novocaine, right? <laughs> it's like, I just be, I'd be really sad about myself, uh, you know, Please don't give me anything. I'm going to handle it myself. That's insane uh, to me, at least. Um, But people do that with childbirth because childbirth, like sports, is one of those experiences where a part of what some people want is a sense of kind of primal connection. Um, And that was something I didn't understand. I thought it was totally, I was like, why would anyone ever want to experience, like you could just have an epidural,
0: Yeah. you know? Yeah, you could just have no no pain. Right. Well, that would Should be better. That. Right.
1: That, would, that sounds like a great option, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but, but but like you were saying, right? So with sports, but back to Judy Chan, right? Because I think it's really important because this is going to come up. And in our fucking cultural environment, it's going to be nuts, right? And I want people – I hate the like – I hate how bad the conversations are, honestly, about transgender athletes because they are so binary and so simplistic that I think that
0: they're going to both gonna, sides.
1: Yeah, on both sides. That they're yeah. going to be there. That that when there is actually an athlete competing in the Olympics who is transgender, and it's going to happen soon. It's going to rip everyone apart. And and instead, what what I would like to see is people who understand the complexity of stuff like being an XX you know, XX athlete with hyperandrogenism, or alternatively, right? So say you do it with chromosomes. So now you're XY. If you're you know for the sake of sports, hypothetically. We're gonna define you as a woman if you're XX and a man if you're XY, but then you've got people who are XY, but androgen insensitive. So these are people who biologically essentially grow up as, as women and they look like women, they compete as women, and then they have a chromosome. They have a test, right? And they find out that they're XY, but they're androgen insensitive. And this, has been, this was an issue in the Olympics as well in 1985. Um, there was a, a woman who's now a physician who had been competing as a woman her whole life. Then the test came back and she was like, well, that's crazy. Was she hermaphrodite? She was n- not. I mean, I, I, as I understand it, she was just androgen insensitive. So she was not intersex. This woman wasn't.
0: So did she have a penis? She did not. So she had a vagina. That's correct. But she had a Y chromosome. That's right. Wow. Right. So, but then what, what
1: ends up happening, and again, I've read so many of these arguments, and, and I want people to have interesting discussions about this. Is people will say they'll look at this, and and on one side of the argument, people will be like, "Well, then she was just, you know, if it's X, you know, if it's x, x y, she's a man. That's it. Like she's just a man without a penis, right?" She's <laughs> the
0: outlier of all outliers, right? So people use
1: outliers to try to break down all of the category. On the other side, people will be like, "Well, since there are outliers." clearly the categories themselves don't make sense. But that's not true either, right? Obviously the categories for sports of biological males and biological females are very important categories that do make sense. Mm. And there are also outliers that make it hard to decide. Yeah. That's it. That's the, and then we have a conversation about the, the difficulties with the outliers and we, and we try to, at least you know, for my part, we try to embrace the, the complexity of those situations.
0: Yeah, it's it's so weird with sports because with sports first of all um, Did you ever see the documentary Icarus? Yes. Amazing. I did. Right? Yes. Well, it highlights if you haven't seen it folks it it highlights how prevalent cheating is right. it's really and so when you're talking about sports you're talking about people that are willing to first of all push their body literally to the brink of failure for success And then they're also willing to take exogenous drugs to succeed then they're also in this case Russia was complicit in aiding them and perhaps even forcing them to do this and they had this elaborate system set up at the Sochi Olympics to cheat and so when you're talking about sports that's part of the thing it's like people are law they're everyone wants fair. Right. They're looking for fairness. But what the fuck is fairness? It's it's,
1: it's very, very it is difficult. Ve- it's
0: very weird. Yep. And this is something that, I, you know, I've admitted openly w- with this, the transgender argument. The there are outliers and there's outliers that are female athletes. Like, first of all, African-American females uh, have the same bone density as a lot of uh, Caucasian men. Um, it, the bone density argument's a weird one, because men generally have thicker bone density, particularly men that lift weights, have a, a denser, denser bones than females, but some women have dense bones, you know, there's some women, like, there's some women fighters that have real knockout power, and then there's some women fighters that just don't, they just don't, for whatever reason, structurally, they, they, they don't generate the same amount of force. Like, what's fair? What is fair? Because there's there's some people that are just gifted. They're just gifted physically. This is why sports is so weird. And I don't know, no.
1: I have no idea how things break. I don't know how things break down along racial lines. But with with men and women, it's it's a particularly clear thing. And it's also something that we have as a category, right? Mm-hmm. So then that forces the question on us in a way that... That is difficult, right? Like you were saying, what is fair? Um, they're all they're, every single athlete at world class level, in in a certain sense, is a freak of nature, right? They are all, they all have certain kinds of gifts. Um, many of them. Many, many of them. Some of them are freaks of right.
0: just will and of determination. will, and, of, right? Yeah. Um,
1: and and that means that fairness is going to be a really really hard thing to pin down and like you said too right they're going to be have training regimens they're going to be taking all kinds of supplements they're going to be doing all of these things that are obviously you know not natural but at the same time we want to have rules about what kind of shoes they can wear right Right. and and what kind of drugs they can take and and sports are so important to people right they're so they're so so symbolically important that I I just I get I get scared. Honestly, I get scared. I mean, this brings us back sort of to the beginning of the conversation, but I get really scared about the way in which people are going to be able to ultra process
0: Mm.
1: whatever happens. And this is on every side of the debate. What's going to happen is people are going to going to take whatever they see and they're going to go nuts with it.
0: Right. But that's that's sort of on them. (laughs) <laughs> it sucks, but it is sort of on them. We we really should be embracing these nuanced discussions because this is what's critical for understanding the the true nature of things. And these people that are willfully distorting people's messages and taking these ultra processed versions, whether it's a clip or a soundbite, or even worse, in in quotes, uh, a segment with dot 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 at the end. The the idea that you you can do that and and reframe. What is uh, really a v- v- really nuanced conversation where people are exploring the very nature of w- all things, you know, whether it's farming or athletics or p- pollination or especially like your your book, which is really f- what I've read of it, It's really fantastic. The idea behind it is it's such an important thing to discuss because we do have this binary idea of natural and unnatural processed and this. You know, it's on them if they want to do that. Like it's, it sucks that people do do that and that they pretend that your argument is different than it really is. But that's on you. You're, you're just being a fool. Like, it's, it sucks that so many people get sucked into these kind of debates and these conversations. But you can't do that to someone face-to-face. You can't have that conversation with someone in a real setting of sitting down, talking, looking at each other eye-to-eye. Because that's the only way people are really supposed to be talking. You can't do it, but it's not
1: – I mean, even if it's on them sort of morally, doesn't it wor- – I mean, it, it worries me because
0: it ends up changing society, right? It ends up changing people's lives for sure. Some people get fired for deception well, for the same reason because people are deceptive about what they meant and right. what they were trying to portray. Or also – that Someone could just make a statement and instead of there being a discussion about that statement They're fired and their life is ruined and they're publicly shamed And then we get to share it and laugh and mock them whether it's through an article or a video like that girl with the finger cut or the, the black lives or, matter girl
1: or we end up focused on stupid shit, right? It's like right now like just to take that current example po- like police reform. Yes, right? I think that what happens is we get distracted and divided by fringe issues that are fed by the ultra processed information so we end up focusing on them which makes it very difficult to actually and politicians like you were saying right they're looking at this and they're like okay i'm gonna have to weigh in on those issues and so that ends up dividing politicians when in fact people agree on a lot of things yeah. they agree on a lot of things people want for example with the police right as, as i understand the vast majority of americans want police held accountable for using excessive violence yes it may be it maybe it is on people for for eating the wrong information it's on me or whatever becoming polarized but but it ends up making us as a society incapable of getting together and making the changes that we actually all agree on if we only if we were only able to I don't really sit down mess- and talk.
0: I don't think it's on people that eat the wrong information. I think that's very unfortunate. It's on the people who distribute the information deceptively. It, the, the people that are distorting, willfully distorting, your, like someone like you were, you were saying. If we have this conversation, look, we're, we've talked about a bunch of hot-button subjects that could get us canceled. And you could take any segment of a conversation like that and likely find a few things that people could take out of context. And it would it would spur this whole debate on what a piece of shit you are. And this is something that people like to do for whatever reason. They like to willfully distort a nuanced discussion and take a segment out of context and change the narrative and, and turn it into something it's not, that's on them. That is on them. I mean, it's on. It's not on the people that listen to it and, and get sucked into it. I feel for them and I'm sorry and I, I, I don't enjoy it when it happens to me, but the people who do that willfully, you are wasting your life distorting reality because you wish things to be a different way or because you're deceptive or because you're bitter or spiteful or angry or hateful or... You see in you, this other person that you're, you're targeting, you see in them something that you don't like in yourself or something in a past lover or something in your father or whatever the fuck it is, you know, that's on you. That's on you. I can't, I can't worry about that. There's not enough time in this life.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's it, it, I, I do agree with, I think you're right to like focus on, so I'm, I'm gonna tell you, let me tell you a story about, about, a, about a terrible person. Um. Ooh, there's. There's. I feel like we should have some cue up some spooky music. Yeah. Right. So this. There's this guy. I hope I like don't get sued by this guy. Well, you don't
0: just don't, have, don't say his name.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm gonna. I'm about to say the place that he runs. Um. This is a guy who tells people that he can cure their cancer. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh. You know, cure their cancer naturally, right? He's got the whole. You know, oh. he gives them. He gives them a wheat. You know, gives them wheatgrass smoothies, right? And he tells them that if they just think positively, and and they, you know, the that big pharma. Is is corrupt and chemotherapy is a sham and if they just come to his place, which I went to, in in Florida, um, he, did you go to interview him? Or I, did I, I did, I did, I went to interview him because I, and he looks like, I mean, he just looks like he he's like a caricature of a snake oil salesman. He's got this like artificially tanned skin and like a pointy goatee, oh. and 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 the and 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 so I think you're totally right. I was like, it's on this guy. Th- this this fucked up guy
0: who is t- who is getting people's hope up, but right? It's, it's not right because it's also he gets to the people and they could have seeked yep. Sought out real big treatment. Yeah, and could be cured and live and
1: people yeah, die People yeah. die because they go there and the people that were there. This was the crazy thing And this is this again gets back to how the ultra processed information is happening. These were not idiots man These were people mm. who I mean, I don't know what it's like um, Because I've never had I've never had you know Knock on wood. Um, I've never, had, you know, I've never had cancer. A person very close to me has never had cancer. But like, these are people who, you know, when that happens, um, y- you're looking for anyone. You're yeah. looking for anyone to tell you a story that gives you a sense that things are actually not chaotic, right? Yeah. That things are simple, that there's an answer, that there's a community that, that, that can help you. Um, and, so, and so they go, right? And, he, and he, taps, he taps into that and he gives them what they want. Right. In a sense, he gives them what they want, which is which is a feeling of certainty and belonging and hope. And and, and he's terrible, terrible human being. But 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 it ends up it ends up being really bad for these people. And it ends up being bad for, you know, society in certain ways and that. And so I struggle. Right. And the problem is, if you attack that guy, I don't know if you've run into this at all, but if you attack the charlatans they've been turned into saints by the people that look up to them. Mm -hmm. So when you attack them, you also end up attacking all of the people- That believe them. That believe
0: them. Mm Mm-hmm, I've been there before with chiropractors, yeah. Wait, wait, say a little more? Well, I don't know if you know the history of chiropractors. I I do, I just wanna, I have to
1: figure out where you come down on this before I- (laughs) I think it's nonsense. Yeah, okay, so So
0: it's 100% nonsense. It's this, ready? Yeah, Me cracking my right. fingers? That's what they're doing to your back. It's yeah. not fixing anything. Chiropractic medicine was created by a guy who was a magnetic healer who came about it through a seance. The idea that he was going to manipulate people's spines and cure them of tuberculosis and blindness. He was murdered by his son who drove over him with a fucking car and <laughs> then took over the practice. And somehow or another, this has been grandfathered in. Like, the one, I told this to a friend of mine the other day was talking to me about chiropractors. I go, do you know how much time... Uh, a, a chiropractor spends in medical school. They go, how much? I go zero. Right, yeah, zero time. They're a doctor of chiropractic medicine, but they're not a doctor. There's people flipping out right now, though, who have been to their chiropractor, who have fe- feel like they've gotten relief, who respect their chiropractor,
1: yeah. Yeah, well, it's... there's
0: some relief in someone manipulating your body, folks. Right. You should get a deep tissue massage, and you should g- get an MRI and find out what's really wrong. I came through this because I used to go to a doctor, a uh, chiropractor, excuse me, and I had a bulging disc, and it was fucking me up for a long time. It was really bothering me. And this... This chiropractor was assuring me it definitely was not a bulging disc and there's probably a muscle tear and we're going to fix it by Manipulating this i'm going to change your that and crack and see oh i got it there let me adjust this boom in your hip this It was all horseshit but he was a saint compared to another one that i went to I'll tell you a story about a guy who was ripping people off (sighs) This guy was really ripping people off he was doing this thing that he called zone healing Are you ready for this? He would i'm not bullshitting he would touch your head and he would, he would press your head here and press your head here, press your head here, and then press it really hard here. And he goes, oh, you feel that? And I go, yeah. And he'd be like, yeah, that's that's uh, L4 is off. And I'm like, no, you squeezed hard on my fucking head. I'm not stupid. And then he would adjust you and tell you that this is going to fix you know whatever autoimmune disease you have, whatever this. And so... I was going to him because all these other jujitsu people were going to him, and they were all telling me, oh, this guy's great at cracking backs, and he's, he's amazing, he fixed my neck, he fixed my this, because people want someone to fix their thing, right? If you have a neck injury, and you just spend time off, and it gets better, and you get some treatment from a chiropractor, well, heal, things heal, your body knows how to heal, and he goes, oh, he fixed my neck. No, your fucking neck healed, okay? Things do heal. But this person touching your back, saying he's fixing your gallbladder, is a scam artist. Right. So I had this guy, and I'm talking to him. And so I said, well, how does this work? And he's explaining to me. He's got a chart. This is zone, he, this is how we're fixing this and that and that and this. And I said, but all you're doing is pushing down on my back. How are you fixing all these things? And so he tries to give me the shenanigans and the little song and dance. Hey, hey. And I keep going. And I say, how are you fixing this? You tell me what is going on here. And so it goes down to the placebo method. He literally tells me, "Oh, he said it if to you. you believe, if you believe in these things. I go, so you're telling me I have to be so fucking dumb to think that if you push on my back, it's going to fix my liver. And then it will fix my liver. Well, he goes, well, you do know the placebo method does work. I go, so you're taking money from people to lie to them. So we have this tense conversation in his office. And... I'm looking at him and I know this guy's got a nice house and he's got a nice car and he's just fucking stealing money from people By giving them these false hopes It's it's creepy shit, man And it's really creepy shit when you're alone with the guy and you're talking to him about it And you get him to say it's the placebo method and meanwhile Other than that nice guy, which is even more fucked up. Like I knew him like he seemed like a nice guy I didn't I didn't know I didn't even know chiropractor Stuff was bullshit. I mean, the history of it. I mean, like you said, right, if you look into it,
1: it's sort of hard to believe that people like it's still a thing. It's right? hard I, to I mean, it's
0: insurance covers it. Yeah.
1: And it's and it, you know, but and this goes back to the religion stuff, too. I mean, I got all, I got into all of this stuff. So I like my my actual area of academic expertise is classical Chinese philosophy. So, like, that's what I that's what I did as an act uh, do, <laughs> did do uh, as an academic and, I, you know, I read all these ancient Taoist texts and stuff like that, and there's all these promises in there about, you know, if you take my, you know, mercury mixed at night with this and you oh, eat in yeah. this way. And I'm looking at this stuff and I was like, my, you know, this seems very familiar, right? There's a lot of that going on today. And then you look at the history of chiropractic and it's there are these vital forces, right? Homeopathy is a similar Mm -hmm. thing. There's vital forces that are actually what's causing illness. And if you look at the history of that, it's quasi-religious Reiki, which is like the energy
0: healing, right? And it's like they didn't even touch you, right? Right.
1: And it's these words. I mean, it's really interesting. These words, energy is one of these words that can easily slide from explicitly religious to seemingly secular, right? It's like, oh yeah, energy, that's in physics, they have energy, right? Yeah. But it's like, no, this is a thing, they're not manipulating your energy. There's not something scientific happening here. This is a, this is a religious ritual, a healing ritual, disguised as some kind of science. Right. And, and, and yet, as you know, and this is what I discovered with my first book, I used to joke with people, like I got out of religion because I didn't want to talk about touchy stuff, and then I started talking about food and medicine, and that was when people really got pissed. <laughs>
0: like when you when you start to talk about what they eat. So you got out of religion just because you didn't want these uncomfortable conversations. It's,
1: I, I mean, I'm joking. I, it's not, I actually got I, I got I, I stopped doing religion like or not stop doing because I still do scholarship stuff. Um, but I wanted to talk about it in a way that was relevant to modern society. So I didn't just want to do classical Chinese thought. I wanted to look at how the stuff I learned about how religion works or about the history of religion and apply it to, you know, how are people choosing the foods they eat? How are people choosing the medicines? Like with Chinese medicine, right? People would say crazy stuff to me. They'd say things like, you know, acupuncture is natural, right? Or whatever. And that's, and that's part of why it works. I'm like, acupuncture, they got stainless steel phyloform needles. You think those were around when the Yellow Emperor was writing his classic? Like, no, they don't. And when people talk about Chinese medicine, they don't talk about, you know, exorcism. Exorcism is not a thing. It was very popular back in the right. day. But that's not something people embrace. And so I saw these weird uncritical embraces of of dietary regimens and healing rituals that to me were just obviously right out of, you know, ancient China or, you know, any ancient context um, where people would never believe them. And yet today, you know, you're going in and you're having your your back cracked. It's so
0: weird that it's so prevalent. But push back on it and- Oh, I've experienced it. I'm gonna (laughs) experience it now. Oh no. Is that what's gonna happen? 100%. (laughs) Well, I don't read social media luckily, so I'm not gonna hear from it, but- and let me do say this. There's a bunch of people that are chiropractors that do use some valid methods for rehabilitation. Right. There's a lot of them that use deep tissue massage, cold laser therapy, actual real methods. A lot of them uh, use uh, rolfing. There's a, a lot of them that use a, a bunch of different methods of stretching that are very beneficial. But the practice of cracking backs to cure a disease is fucking nonsense. Right, right. right. And that's a problem. And the practice of calling yourself a doctor of that is also nonsense. It really is. Yeah. And it's people, a it's a doctor of yeah. 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 Absolutely.
1: Uh, I, it's, but at the same time again, and I don't know you, I keep saying, you know, this, but like it's, it, it's, it, it must be difficult when, when people are in pain, right. Or when yeah. people, when people are in pain, when you're in pain, either, you know, psychic pain or physical pain, you really need someone to tell you they have an answer for you yes. and to explain it and fit it into a system. They can say to you, I know why you're sad. I know why you feel empty. I know why your fucking back hurts. It's because of this simple thing. And I have the answer. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And, yeah. and actually just hearing that
0: itself is therapeutic. It really is. And that's the, the problem with going to a healer because there's many people that have gone to people that have claimed to be a healer and just this process of embracing this new new situation this like I am here I'm getting healed oh my god it's happening oh, and you a lot of what makes people ill is anxiety is stress And the placebo effect of having some sort of a, in your mind, perceived solution does have tangible physical benefits for some strange reason, which is really weird, like what what goes on in the human mind. There is an unbelievably crazy
1: thing on, I think it's a Netflix special. It's a guy who's a magician, a professional magician, but he also comes from like a, a religious background where he would go to these faith healing revivals and he does a show. Where he tells his audience this flat out. He says, I'm a magician. I specialize in manipulating your minds. And I know that the way that faith healing works is bullshit. And I'm going to show you by faith healing people tonight in this audience. I'm going to do it right now. But I want you to know that I'm just manipulating you. Right. Is it Darren Brown? Is it? Is that his name? And then he like goes and heals people. Is it? Is it? Darren's it,
0: been on the podcast. He's amazing. I
1: mean, this was – I'm watching them and they're going up and he's like, and was it your back and was it this? And they're like, oh my god, how did you know? I feel better. I've never felt this good in my life. And, it, and it's, it's, it's unbelievable really because you realize that certain forms of communication, right, are, are just inherently powerful. Yeah. They're symbolically Powerful, and they can make people feel. Yeah, yeah. it is Dan yes. Brown. Yeah, he's been. Oh my God, Dan
0: Brown's amazing. I, I mean, mean, it was
1: just unbelievable. Yeah,
0: he's he's a really brilliant human being in in many ways, and, uh, and and talking to him about his process of how long he sets these things up and some of the things that he, um, he he's done several of these Netflix specials, incredible. He's, he's amazing. This is what people do with natural stuff, though. This is what they do. You go
1: into a store, you're stressed out. You don't know what's going on. You've got a chronic condition. There is a way in which buying something natural and consuming it, the ritual of that says to you, you're gonna be better. You're a part of a
0: system that is simple in which there are good things and bad things and there's a solution to your problems. But there is also the reality of n- some natural foods being incredibly good for you. That's true. And there's also the reality of some diets being incredibly poor in nutrients, and the, really the, the result of, of that, of eating those diets, is you get really sick, and if you eat the nutrient-rich diets, your body turns around. Yep. That's true too. That's also true, that's exactly, yeah. like this is, I wish that, that the, the that's true too.
1: Yeah, That's I'm, I, nuance. I, like, yeah, that's exactly it, and that's and that's where, I mean, you know, what, what's weird is that most of the experts I talked with for for my book, they were actually nuanced. You know, I talked to environmental activists, who were, you know, they are they are activists, right? They really want to change the world for the better. They care a lot about this stuff, but they're also very nuanced. They're like, you know, nuclear energy is a complicated issue. Like, here's why I think it's complicated, or here's why genetically modified organisms. Like, they were always relentlessly stressing how nuanced things are and how complicated things are. And I feel like if there's one thing, although now I'm making it simple, right? But if there's one (laughs) thing that's gonna, look, the one thing that will fix
0: everything is nuance. It's it's sort
1: of a a stupid take.
0: That's a funny way of putting it, right? Yeah. But nuance and not being married to your ideas is very, very important. Yeah, so let's not hold people accountable for it. But that's that's a, a big part of why people are using the internet. They're trying to score points and, and, and shoot people down and cancel people and expose people and get mad at people. And they're doing it to elevate themselves. That's a big part of why they're doing it. And really, it's just you're robbing yourself of time and focus and energy that you could be spending on important things. And this is not, again, to say like what you were talking about before about exposing police brutality or corruption. These, there's, there's, there's important things to expose that are really, that are really like there's people who are being victimized. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about this is a general human tendency to tear people down. And it's it's very negative. And it's and it feels like you should be doing it for some strange reason. While you're doing it, there's like some satisfaction. Like if you have a rock and you see a window and you just fucking chuck that rock at the window and it smashes and a bunch of people behind you go, Yeah, it feels good. You yeah. know, and I don't know why. It's part it's, of being a person. It's
1: the same. It's the it's the same reason. I guess like e- eating, you know, eating junk food feels good, right? It's mm-hmm. like they've ta- it's tapped into all of these things, and yeah. you know. But it's right. Just use the internet to find out about stuff. Like you, like just even in this show, right? How many times have we been able to bring up a video of something mm-hmm. or a shot of something? It was constructive. I learned things. You know what I mean? Like there are plenty of ways to use the internet well, and I do think you're right. We got to hold people. Like if people are fucking designing social media. To make it compulsively addictive, I mean that's like we didn't think there's like, anything wrong
0: with that when it was first instituted. Know, was, that's the problem.
1: I mean, I was at I remember I was at I was undergrad at Stanford when Facebook was first happening. Like this guy, like smoked bowls with and played guitars. Now, like the like developed the Facebook feed, you oh know. My God. And I remember back he, then, he's the devil, you know, yeah, well, that, and it's it, he didn't know what he was doing. I know, I'm he, sure, you that's know, he problem, was just right? like some kid that was like, this is incredible, yeah. right? But then they didn't design it. They didn't design it with everybody's best interest in mind they didn't design it to to really make sure that people would use it the right way and not the wrong way to be
0: effective that's right yeah well that's the thing about the youtube algorithm my friend ari had this uh experiment that he did was people were talking about the youtube algorithm that it sort of there's one thing about Facebook and YouTube, and a lot of these things, people will make this argument that the algorithm favors arguments. It favors, it pulls up things that you get upset with, particularly Facebook, and that it's trying to manipulate you into using it v- much more often because it turns out that people engage much more in things they disagree with than things they agree with. So, what he decided to do was only YouTube puppies. And so he just YouTubed all these videos of puppies. And all, just so his feed was just filled with puppy stuff. And all his suggestions were puppy stuff. And he's like, no, it's not that it's trying to make you upset. It's that you're trying to make yourself upset. And it's taking advantage of that.
1: It, well, you know, it's funny. This goes to Salatin, something Salatin talked about. Here's another analogy, I think, for information that's really helpful monocultures versus polycultures, right? Mm. I think that, the, that our current information ecosystem, is set up to give us all a monoculture of information. It's like, okay, here's what this person wants. I'm just gonna feed them a lot of puppies and only puppies. Here's the information this person wants. I'm gonna feed them more of that. And what you end up is a homogenization of what it is that's coming into you when what you need is a kind of intellectual polyculture. Right. right? You want something resilient where there's people You know, where there's where there's different systems in place so that you don't just have one big system so that you can have other ideas. I mean, intellectually, this is what comedians often did. Right. Or jesters. I mean, this is something I work on academically is this idea like, you know, you have the king and the king is the authority, but the king will have a jester who has the right to push back on the most fundamental things that the king Believes in and puts out there. They can, like, you know, and in general, right, the fool or the jester is wise because they can challenge, you know, they take off the pants in public, right, and piss, or they can do things that no one else gets to do. That's important because it prevents monoculture, intellectual and moral monoculture. Mm. And I honestly think, I mean, I think you were talking about South Park the other day, um, but one thing that I have, I, I struggle with now is that I feel like the jesters these days, they're just confirming what it is that their viewers already believe. So with South Park, I didn't know whether I was going to agree with what they were
0: mocking or whether I was going to be shocked. You never knew. That's a gross generalization, though, in terms of gestures because there's so many different styles of uh, comedians. Well, you can access them in a way that makes it so that you don't have to hear anything you don't want. But you don't know what they're going to say. I kind of know what John Oliver is going to say. Well, John Oliver is a different (laughs) kind of an animal and his stand-up he's it, what he's doing is not really stand up right what he's doing is he's got this show where he mocks things and it's got a very heavy left-wing bend to it right well yeah. John
1: Stewart I felt like I knew what Jon Stewart was gonna say and it's not to say I didn't like it he was funny and mm-hmm. I agreed with him and I watched him I mean a lot of maybe this is just what people you know conservatives say this and I think they're right is that there's a bent to late night like I'm not gonna tune into Stephen Colbert and be shocked uh, that
0: that he's mocking something that I didn't expect him to mock. Well what's interesting, that's true, but Colbert's a he's a, a Catholic. Like yeah. a heavy duty Catholic, which is really weird. You I know, wish he would like, talk about that more. He has a few times. Does he? But it gets real weird. <laughs> it gets like like almost like he's holding a hot potato and he can't wait to drop it. You know? It's huh. I wonder if I wonder if that's because it doesn't fit with the I don't know. I don't know man. I mean first of all there was the character that he was doing You know when he was doing the Colbert report, which was this like really cocky Republican character And then he went over to do the Stephen Colbert show and now it's not that anymore Now it's like he's hosting a talk show But it's right. the guy that we knew who was like super ultra cocky and really funny from The Daily Show that was like a parody of a right-wing guy it's it's very odd. It's a weird it's a weird progression. I wonder that you think that there are jesters because I want to Although I think he's very
1: funny. Tell, yeah, he's that, hilarious. Too. Well that's the yeah. thing. Being being funny doesn't you know yeah. there are plenty of funny people who aren't
0: jesters, right? I mean there's I like when he fucks with Trump. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> that he gets Trump to reply and he's like, You made a mistake. You replied. Like you reacted to me. Like <laughs> it was
1: crazy to be in that. Yeah. To do, so, so tell me a jester because I want what I want, I wanna be able to I wanna be able to watch people who are gonna who are going to sometimes make me feel like I was I I was right and they're Mm -hmm. gonna be mocking someone that I that I disagree with. And then I also want and then Two seconds
0: later, I mean, this happens a little bit with Dave Chappelle. I've seen like... Oh, Dave's the best at it. But there's a a guy named Andrew Schultz who's thriving during this lockdown because he can't do stand-up and he's doing on his uh, Instagram, he does these really well-produced videos where he'll take down a subject. Like, um, I I don't even want to give you an example, but he's got a bunch of them out there, but he's fantastic at it. He's really good at it and he's also independent and he's a wild young really funny comedian And he's, he doesn't have any affiliation whether it's he's, he's not like stuck in this left-wing paradigm or he's not a, a right-wing person He's not in any way shape or form. So he's just like what's this bullshit? Here's here's the problem with these motherfuckers and then he goes on these that's him right there. He's fantastic Oh, yeah, he's got a new one uh, Fake woke activism no one asked for. <laughs> but they're great. And they're like they're all like 10, 15 minutes long and then he fucking nails it. It's really, really good stuff. Is there anyone out there who mocks the anti woke people? The anti woke. You know what I mean? The people, people that are that... like, all you need is rationality and free thinking. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm I sure don't... there's I'm sure there's someone out there. There's probably some like heavy duty left wing people that are mocking like, you know Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Maybe but it's no, on me. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we've got a problem in ideology world, right? We've got a problem with these very strict left versus right things. You know, it's really weird. And and I've been acutely aware of it because I've been so often accused of being right-wing for the most bizarre reasons, mostly because of the way I look and because I'm a, um, a commentator for the UFC, and, you know, I look, I'm a meathead, I look like a meathead. I'm, I'm a hunter, all these different things. I get accused of being, and then, you know, it turns out I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter, and, and I'm, I lean way more towards progressive ideas, but I also support the Second Amendment. It's like people have this idea in their head that you have to be in these hard lines. And if you're not, you're not a part of a tribe and you get ostracized by that tribe. And there's a very real stigma attached to that. And you feel that stigma when people attack you for your ideas. And so people lean into what gets them love and lean away from what gets them chastised. Yeah, well, I feel like I don't have a—I mean, one thing that I feel I feel these days
1: is I, I feel very politically homeless. Yes. Um, and I think there's a, a deep—because— and I don't like the moderates either because I don't feel moderate because there's some stuff I'm not moderate about. <laughs> right. It's like, no, there's some shit yeah. that's really bad yeah. and we need to change it right now. Yeah. And so the, mo- I, I, you know, and, I, and and like you were saying, right, I think it's just that well, we want labels and simplicity. Right. And so if you have if if we look at things on an issue by issue, case by case basis, then we don't have a a category to fit ourselves into. And that's obviously since the beginning of time. Right. This is what religions often provide. Right. It's like, well, here is what I believe in. I am this kind of person. And that word, you know, um, I'm Muslim or I'm Christian or I'm Protestant. That word describes who I am. It gives me an identity. right? Um, But then that locks you into all kinds of stuff.
0: Yes, it does. It does. And people lean into that. And oftentimes people don't even have their own opinions. They have a established set of opinions they've adopted because they're this or they're that, they're right or they're left, they're Christian or they're atheist. And, you know, it's I really think like as we we're talking about like earlier that being woke is very akin to being religious. Being anti woke is akin to being being atheist. There's a lot of people that are like rabidly atheist the same way someone who is, is an evangelical Christian. I mean they they have no room for religion being positive. And if you say. There's some positive aspects of religion. I think it's a moral scaffolding for people. I think it gives people hope. It it improves the quality of their life. It establishes a community amongst other people that also share values. And there's real positive benefits to that. It's exactly how I was with the natural thing. I went in like
1: a like a like an atheist, right? I was like, "This is so stupid. These people are all stupid." And then I came out and I was like, "No, well, no, like that's no. There are some good things about it, right? Yeah. That's that's exactly it. There's actually it's it's funny. Like one of the things so a project I was working on, way back in the day, was was a podcast about people who shift, it's called Shift, and we were looking at people who fundamentally, who changed their minds on really, really important things. So we did one episode on this guy, Scott Shepard, you actually had Daryl Davis on, so this is a related thing. So Scott Shepard was this guy, it's an insane story, who was, I I don't wanna give away too much about this, but like he started very much not a racist, ended up in the KKK and then left the KKK. And what I wanted to understand and what I think maybe this is something we just need to investigate right now is what is it that causes people to break out of what, whatever ideological label it is that they have? There was another guy that we, that we did another episode on. That was where it ended for now. Um, about So he was like a Greenpeace activist. like He was one of those guys who would go in, tear up GMO crops, right? Now he's pro-GMO. I don't care about whether or not GMOs are good or bad. That's not the point of the episode for me.
0: For me, it's like, how does that happen? What is it that changes you? You should interview Candace Owen. Yeah. Yeah, because Candace Owen ran an anti-Trump website and- and then she became a hardline right winger,
1: right? And that's and I just want to yeah. know, like, how does that happen? What are the things? And it's obvious it's gonna be all kinds of stuff, right? Because it's your yeah, it's the people around you. There's so many you know?
0: variables, but it's also like w- what you choose to focus on, like what you know. Sometimes there's a lot of gravity in in shifting to an, another uh, perspective, like, and people start rewarding you for that and praising you for that, and then the wrong people criticize you for that, so you feel like you're on the right track. You know, you get morons that that call you an asshole for having a different different perspective.
1: Yeah, and that one thing, right? One thing, one yeah. one ele- one moment of being hurt, or one discovery yeah, of one... being like, betrayal mm-hmm. or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, we're at an adolescent stage of interpretation of ideas. That's what I think. We really are, and and of communication. I th- and I think that what we're doing with social media and the internet in general is, we are far more connected than ever before, but in many ways, far more segregated and segmented and and far more rigid in our ideas and the echo chambers have never been stronger. It's very, and I think that the next leap of technology, and I've had Elon on and he discussed his Neuralink, which is really fascinating stuff because it's gonna require surgery. Like people are literally going to get holes Very drilled. Very unnatural. <laughs> fucking super unnatural. I mean, as unnatural as fillings. Um, but they're going to drill holes in your head, and they're going to put literal wires into your brain, and you're you're going to have a device attached to your skull. And he said it's like a. Do we say like a quarter sized? device on your fucking head that's going to Bluetooth up to your phone and you're going to be able to access information and your your bandwidth that you're going to be able to access information at is going to be radically increased and the way he describes it it varies between it varies between the way he describes it when it seems like he's trying very hard to make it palatable versus when he sees the actual future potential of it which is We're not going to be the same thing anymore, just like, you're not the same thing as, like, when I was a kid, uh, people would lie about stuff, and you really, there's no way to check, you know, they could say, like, (laughs) I won the Olympics 16 times, and I was the fastest man ever, and you'd be like, whoa, who the fuck are you, like, there's no way to check, now you could go, what's your name, and then you pull out your phone, and in five seconds, you know the person's full of shit, So we've changed radically in our ability to assess whether things are accurate or inaccurate and whether someone's a liar or not I think much like that, the next leaps of technology are going to completely change our understanding of motivation, of emotions, of what, what is causing someone to to have a deceptive narrative that they're trying to push forth. And we're going to be able to see these things. We're, we're going to be able to access this information in a very different way. And it's going to change what we are as human beings. We're going to have some sort of cyborg capacity. And it's going to radically elevate our ability to understand things and to communicate, and that's weirdly enough probably our only hope.
1: You think it'll be good? I mean, here we are talking yeah. about ultra processed information. I mean, but I we're wonder... stuck
0: with this. I know. Okay, we're stuck. Yeah. We're stuck with this. Ultra processed information is here, and unless we can technology our way out of this. I don't, I don't think we're going to get better at this. If, if, if someone said, okay, no more social media, uh, the social media we have now we keep forever, um, nothing but YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, that's it, forever. And, you know, they can randomly decide you violated their terms of service and ban you. And there's no room for conservative thought. And they'll, they'll blackball people for the most ridiculous ideas because most of these people that are running these organizations are super woke. So what, what happens then? Well we're fucked and it's gonna it's like literally pushing us towards the point of at least an ideological civil war. That's where we're at right now. Just solving
1: it with a brain implant feels like solving the food system with bariatric surgery. You know what I mean? It's
0: just like, it's like okay, we've got this food system, so what we're going to do... I'm not is... necessarily thinking that a brain surgery is the only way to solve it. I'm but scared. I, think, I do think that technology and more emergent technology is probably what's going to get us out of this. That we, we, what, what you were talking about earlier uh, in the tweet that really resonated with me about ultra-processed information... I think we need something that's far more that has far more depth to it that something that works and distributes information in a far more nuanced and uh, a, a far a far more transparent way and I think we're we're going to move in that direction and we're going to move in that direction because it seems like technology is moving everything towards greater and more prevalent connectivity right. You can get better internet access everywhere. Everything is instant. We're live streaming and tweeting and all this different stuff. It's moving us towards some ultimate moment of intense connectivity. And I think we're going to be able to read each other's minds. That's one of the things that Elon said. He he said, you're going to be able to talk without using your mouth. And I, I think he's right, and I think that's what's going to happen. God, we're, we're be so to re- bad, though. We're I don't just... know if that's necessarily the future, though. You could be better. Yeah, uh, you think it could be better? We, I think we're going to be able to read thoughts and emotions in a, in a way where you'll you'll know that someone's being a baby, you know someone's being a child, you, you you'll know someone's being deceptive. You'll be able to see these things. What a terrifying world. That's sort of
1: like that. You know, the radical honesty people. Have you seen this group? It's the people that are like, you never lie about anything. So it's this weird social experiment where they're just like, you know, whether where they're with their loved ones or whatever. And the loved ones are like, do you like my shirt? And they're like, no, uh, it looks bad. And you've gained weight. Right. And like there's it's it's radical (laughs) transparency about everything. And that that. I understand where they're coming from, right? It's like this thought that, like, we're all sort of laid bare to each other. Right. Um, but also, like, it's great that we can keep things private. Like, what we live in right now is this sort of grassroots... I mean, I call it a grassroots panopticon, right? We're all watching each other, but it's not the government. It's not Big Brother. We're Big Brother, right? And that... I want to keep stuff... I like I, like, like, I, I like... I know what you're saying. I don't want you to look at my brain.
0: <laughs> I know what you're saying, and I, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. But, however... Um, I'm a stand-up comic and one of the things that I love about being a stand-up comic is my friends are all brutally honest and they fuck with me and we fuck with each other. Like if I said, do you like this shirt? and he'd be like, "No dummy, it looks stupid on you." They will say something like that. We both be like, "Ah!" They would say something like, uh, do you think I gained weight?" Like, "You know you gain weight, motherfucker. Get on the scale, you fat fuck." And they'll say that to you, yeah. and they start laughing. We, we there's no in the comedy world, like in the world of my friends, there's no room for dishonesty. And if they think you're bullshitting, they don't want to talk to you because it's no fun. I think comedians are uniquely strong in that way though. I I
1: so as someone too, right for me, like my thing was like rationality, Like I liked rationality. It was like, "Oh, we have a Good argument. Like, I'll just have a logical argument with you, right? But like, one of the things I realized, and this one, you know, when I was there at that place in, in Florida where this fucking charlatan is mm, killing people, yeah. I can't just tell those people the truth. I That's crazy. Could. I wish I could, but they're dying yeah. and they're in pain. And there's certain people who are constitutionally, they like honesty all the time. They thrive on it, yeah. um, even when they're in pain, right? But there's a lot of people where logic or honesty, that's just not the, that's not the, they're going to suffer. I agree. They're going to, they're going to suffer.
0: No, I, I agree. I, I think you're right about that. That there's, there's certain people that you really shouldn't like, you know, if you're talking to a delicate person and they ask you a question and it's, there's nothing wrong with just being complimentary. Well, you, look, you look great. You look great. I like doing that too. I have know? a kid.
1: I, one of my things, my wife, so my kid would come to me with drawings, right? You're like, you know, kid comes with a drawing, right? And she'd be like, dad, look at this. I'd be like, oh, that looks hey. like shit. Yeah, I was like Hazel, I was like Hazel, that's not your best work. And my wife is like, what the, you fucking monster? Ah! What is wrong with you? And I was like, well, I should just. T- I don't want her to like. And she's like, no, it's a kid. She just wants love from her dad. Right. You tell her like that's a great. You know, did a yeah. great job. And I don't want to infantilize adults, but like there are times when I am when I just need, you know, love or like I need someone to keep their thoughts to themselves. Yeah. Um, and, and and yeah, I don't know, I.
0: I I know what you mean. I don't
1: know. I haven't been in a lot of pain, Joe, is the truth. (laughs) I haven't. I've been, I've led this charmed life. I've led it on, someone said, like, I've led it on difficulty level, like, pretty easy setting, you know, Mm -hmm. my my personally life. And, like, I've been lucky. I haven't been, like, super sick. Like, who knows what kinds of crazy healing therapies I would be into. I mean, there was a guy, there's a guy at Duke who specializes in ALS, Rick Bedlack. These photos of him are incredible because he dresses in wonky outfits, like flashy, like tuxedos and crazy ties and stuff. And I was like, Rick, why do you why do you dress in all these outfits? And he's like, because it's the best because it's the best thing I can offer my patients is these is I don't I can't tell them the scientific studies. They're not here for that. Right. I don't have anything to offer my ALS patients in terms of like science or rationality. Mm. But what I can do is just make them feel lighthearted for yeah. a moment. And I was like, do you tell them like when they come into the office, do you tell them like the truth, you know, which is like basically like you're you're done for, you know? Yeah. And he's like, you know, obviously not, right? You don't just tell people who are in pain the the truth, or at least you don't. There's there's I, I don't know. For me, I've really pulled back from I've really pulled back really recently from from the idea that truth telling is the way to engage with people who are in pain, right? I think a lot of what we're seeing right now with Black Lives Matter, a lot of what we see with, with, um, with transgender activism, uh, all of the hot button political issues often, right, change is there's, there are groups of people who have been in pain for a very long time um, and individuals within those groups who have been in pain. and. And that I don't know, I think it's just important to sort of acknowledge that, and I had a lot of trouble doing that. I would be like, well, here's the truth, like here's your situation, and here's how you need to fix it, and like but that's not I don't know that's that's not necessarily it doesn't work, and it's not necessarily what people want.
0: yeah, well, in those two particular subjects, too, you're dealing with people that are that will get very upset if you do offer anything that anything that contradicts their narrative. And well, and
1: if you know if someone's in if someone's in pain or if someone's like literally trying I mean if they're if you're trying to change a situation for the better. Yes. right There's you can always throw nuance in you can always have a logical argument about something But I, I've become and I'm not saying like don't say stuff I, I'm, I'm very on board with like you want freedom, right? Like I want to be able to say chiropractors are bullshit I want to do that. But like if there's someone who was struggling with chronic back pain forever and found a chiropractor And they come back from that chiropractor and they say to me, Alan, for the first time in my life, I feel like there's some hope. This chiropractor helped me. If I have that thing in my brain. I don't say it. Yeah, I'm with you.
0: I'm with you. I'd be like, that's "That's great. I'd be like, that's great. But Alan, that's just being kind. Yeah. You value kindness. And I think that's an awesome thing to value. And I value that as well. And I think that's something that I've learned as I've gotten older is that you don't always have to say what you think you could just be nice. And I've seen I've saw I saw you do this like I love this moment. I don't know. I forget which podcast it was on. You were like you were
1: talking about something and then you were like you looked down and you were like wait, I think I think we're making fun of this person. Mm. is what you said. And I feel like and that was a moment, right? Where it was like you want to like yeah. You want to be kind, right? And and honesty, it, it, that's the difficult the sometimes ridiculous things or illogical things are the kind thing. And I'm really struggling now, and I hope I just wish everyone were struggling to realize that that, that those are those are sometimes incommensurable values. Yeah. You can't sometimes be honest or tell the truth and also be kind at the same time, right? There's this book, uh, God, what is it about a kid who's. Um, I can't believe I'm blanking on the book now, but it's a kid who's severely disfigured um, and it was a book for young adults and a, and there's this moment in that book where one of the te- the teacher puts on the board, when you're given the choice between being right and being kind, always choose being kind, yeah, and I was like, and when I first read that, I was like, that's so stupid, man. you can be the way to be kind is by
0: helping someone be right and like tell them the truth, right? but I like, used to share that thought, but I am now in the group of be kind, yeah, and as I've gotten older, first of all, I never sat at I never. I never, I never went out with the idea that I would create something that millions of people would see. Ne- never. This was not. A, this is just something that happened along the way. And as it was happening, I became more and more aware of the impact and then the responsibility that comes with that impact. And th- just through that process has made me a far nicer person because I'm really I'm really aware of. You know, mean shit like I never I don't I don't attack people. I don't like it I don't I'd rather just not you know And I don't I don't even want like if someone says to me before the podcast and they have before hey Would you do me a favor and not talk about this weird thing that happened to me? I'm like, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I don't we could talk about a million things You're a human being. I'm a human being. There's not like a specific I don't want I don't want gotcha moments if you want to talk about something that's in your heart that you want to get out I'll talk to you about it, but I'm not I'm not a mean person you know and when I was younger I was and when I was younger I was I was in the group of fuck that tell them the truth they need right, to right. face reality get your fucking shit together and then and as I've gotten older I've realized like there's not that's that's me worried about myself falling short that's me worry about worrying about my own failures And then wanting to sort of reinforce my own philosophies in other people because I was insecure. Well, this, I mean, it's interesting, you know, you're saying, right,
1: like talking to millions of people. And this goes back to the stuff you were saying about written language and the the fact that you can't respond to stuff. The difference between a conversation is, you know, such and such. So, So here we are. We can talk to each other. I can have an argument with you about, you know, whether like turmeric coffee works or whatever it happens to be, yeah. right? Or supplements or whatever it is, we can talk about chiropractic, right? Mm-hmm. But there's someone else out there who really did just go to a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. And so it puts you, especially, not me, right? I'm not, I don't have like a podcast reaching millions oh, of people. Oh, you got a Twitter, <laughs> dude. They're coming at you too. Don't worry about I'm it. Sure, I'm sure they are. But you know, yeah, Twitter, I think, I mean, Twitter, I see as a spiritual exercise. I've said this before. I go on Twitter to force myself to be kind. Like, how oh. can I balance, how can I be on Twitter? And communicate with people like QAnon, right? Instead of just mocking QAnon, like, can I engage with a QAnon person? Like, you know, anyway- Do but you any do rate, that? I do. What do they say back? They really want to talk to you about QAnon. And then I ask them questions about it. And I try to have be- Have you had like meaningful dialogue? You know, I, I have had meaningful dialogue. I've even had meaningful dialogue on Twitter with people who were, I mean, honestly, my, my, my favorite moments on Twitter are where I engage with someone and it starts angry. And then I'm like, okay, Alan, can we get this to a place where we're being kind to each other if I can do it on Twitter? I mean, that's like a, that's like the gymnasium of the soul, right? If you yes. can be kind to someone on Twitter. But I was saying like you're in a you're in a shitty situation in part because when it comes to this kind of thing, because you're communicating to five thousand different types of audiences all at the same time. You're talking with me. You're talking with the people who are watching this right now, all of whom are, range from people who are not in pain to people who are in pain. yeah some of those people, Need honesty to help with their
0: pain, and so you know what I mean it's like right, this, right, and right. I don't even
1: know how you handle and then and then you don't want to be lying, you want to be telling the truth. you have know. to
0: evolve as a human and and get better at your own your own bullshit and your own like what are you trying to get out? what is your message like what what are you saying like what is in your head, and are you using words to accurately relay what's in your head or have you fucked that up? you get better at that, but there's some benefit. No, don't no doubt to engaging with people online. I mean, I it's I just it's just untenable for me There's too many people, but do you know who Megan Phelps is Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was a she's great example. A shift. Yeah. Yeah. She's an amazing person. I've had her on the show too. Megan Phelps is the granddaughter of Fred Phelps, who is the leader of the Westboro Baptist Church. One of the most vicious, nastiest, evil religious groups ever that would hold, have these God hates fag signs and hold it up in front of the, when soldiers would die. Like, they would the go worst. to their funerals. The craziest shit. And she grew up in this horrible environment. And then through Twitter interacting with her husband on Twitter, that fucking dude, that angel, whoever he is, that dude converted her. And he just talked to her back and forth and they became friends and then eventually they became married and then they have a child together and they're happy.
1: It's a cliche. I mean, you said it's interesting when you said that's being kind, right? I mean, there are these clichés and I hate how we also live in this like ultra ironic time now where like every, you know, oh, it's a cliche. It was like, no, kindness and love. Yeah. I mean, it sounds it's valuable. They work. It sounds they, corny, but they, it's valuable. It's what, it's what every saint yeah. and sage, yes. whatever they've said, it since the beginning of time. And you can be like, oh, that's a cliche or it's more complicated than that. And it, it, it is, it is more complicated always. Right. But like, I don't know the, 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 the kindness, I don't know. It's hard too, because I don't want to even be I keep thinking, right? It's like you get in this like inception of, of nuance, right? But like you and I can say, hey, we need to be kind or I, you know, I need to be kind. I can speak for myself, but like there are some people who actually, they're going to say back, no, I'm being fucking hurt, right? Like the time, like for me, I need to fight back. I need right. to not be kind. If you're in an abusive relationship, right? right? Or whatever, like, or if you're in a, in a position where you're fighting for something you believe in. So I don't even want to be telling other people They are all I feel comfortable with right now. And this is sort of where I landed after, you know, I mean, people were pushing me like this subtitle on this book, man, that was pushed on me. I'm going to be honest, How, how faith in nature's goodness leads to harmful fads, unjust laws and flawed science. It makes it sound like it's a fucking takedown. Mm. you know they were like we need you you know this is this is how a subtitle needs to work it needs to tell people like this simple truth where there's so like just as a Sites. marketing
0: ploy that was their, just their the, idea
1: the British the British book has a different subtitle just the seductive myth of natural goodness oh that's better I, I mean I understand where they were coming from though right because my publisher's like look they want to sell a lot of books yeah and people want this for, they don't like you know people don't want kindness kindness doesn't sell right like mm-hmm. controversy sells and so I, I, it's hard you know again you know, I think about this a lot because, you know, I want people to read my book. I want people to listen to me. I would love to have, you know, I'd love to be able to talk about, you know, my, you know, I'm going to be talking about quantification in my next book. Right. So I, I want people to hear what I have to say about how quantification gets abused, but I'm, I'm also like, well, the best way to get people to hear me, right. Might be to like ratchet up the controversy or I don't the, think
0: so. you know, you don't think no, so. No, I don't think so. I think the, I, I really think like what you're talking about, like don't tell people what to do. You're like, I want to be kind, but I don't feel like I should be telling people. Well, right. like, here's the thing, man. You don't have to. You don't have to tell people, just lead by example, just do what you're doing and do it at your best. And if you can be kind, that will have a greater impact than anything. I mean, it's like being a parent, right? You can tell your kids what to do, but one of the best things that I've found is to just live life in a way that your kids see the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things. And one of the things I always do, whenever whenever I correct my kids, I always say, hey, let me tell you something, I did way worse than that, I'm way dumber than you, and this problem that you you created or this thing that you did wrong i've done way worse i've definitely done that I, i'll tell you the yeah. things i've done i always tell my kids all the things i screwed up on i love telling them that i love telling them like let me tell you what i used to lie about and i'll tell the, my kids like lies that i used to tell i'll tell my kids all the screw-ups that i used to and i i tell them that just so that they know first I'm not picking on them, like I'm a grown man with, I pay taxes, They're, you know, I'm talking to a 10 year old. There's no way this is fair. So I always criticize myself first. And I, whenever they do something wrong, I always say, listen, for, before you know, but just so you know, rather, I fucked this up already too.
1: But you're, you're in a, I don't know, man, I, you're, you're in a nom- I, I guess like what I would say is it, it, does work, it does work for you. Like for example, to take one thing that I've talked about, something you do on your show. That I encourage my students to do is I say, look, if you don't know something, say, I don't know. Say, I don't know if I've used a word in class or if you don't know the answer, say, you don't know. and, and, and And you doing that makes people feel comfortable with admitting they don't know things. It's a kind thing to do for a person, especially a person in position of power to say, I don't know. But the problem is. There's also a lot of authority and cultural currency in pretending to know shit. And there are far more people out there. There are far more people out there who have risen to positions of power pretending they know
0: everything than admitting that they don't know things. It's so dumb. There's zero (laughs) benefit, zero benefit in pretending you have information that you don't have. Zero. There's zero benefit. Because first of all, you'll get exposed. People will find out. They'll, they'll. And then, also, it doesn't make you look any better if you pretend you know something. Like, there's actual strength in saying, what does that mean? I don't know that. Oh, oh, okay. Or, or oh, I thought it was the other way. Oh, my God, I'm an idiot. I, I, I like totally, there's
1: power in that. I, I totally disagree. There's power in admitting you don't know, but I think there's a lot of benefit in pretending you know stuff that you don't. For Not one, ultimately.
0: Ultimately, no, because you get exposed. And then they'll never listen to you again. People will never trust you. It's very valuable to tell the truth. Very valuable. Didn't
1: you just tell me about a guy... With a nice house and a car, who was doing placebo
0: fucking magic? Yeah, I mean, he had an okay house. I don't want to live in that <laughs> shithole. <No. laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying. No, you know guy, what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there's a lot that, of liars out people there. People know that guy's full of shit now, and I think his business has eroded radically. You know, uh, it it got through the community that he's full of shit. I mean, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, he was he was scamming people, but he knows he's scamming people. That 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 the what you carry in your heart being a con artist and robbing people out of their hard work hard-earned dollars by tricking them and thinking that you're healing them that in in itself is a great punishment yeah that, when you say ultimately you that, mean sort of like ultimately in like the big game well not just yeah in the big game but just in day-to-day life you know you're a fucking con artist like the way you're paying for your food is through lies. God, I hope you're right. I just, I've seen, I've
1: met these people, that guy in Florida, these people, yeah. I mean, fucking, come on, Dr. Oz, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. You think Dr. Oz, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I, This is why, I mean, it's interesting talking to you about it, but like, you think he's going home at night and like, geez, I really shouldn't have had that Reiki healer on, like it's eating me does up inside. Does he does he have Reiki healers on? I mean, he's got, how many, every time I go to the supermarket, There's his smiling fucking face on some magazine with Dr. Oz's easy way to lose
0: weight with these. You know what I mean? And like. It's fucking hard to be Oprah. She lets a lot of these motherfuckers through the net. There's uh a. Something uh, on Wandry, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, I don't know if you ever listened to Wondery. It's amazing. It's they they're really good, and they had a fantastic one on Aaron Hernandez, who's that football player who wound up being a murderer. But they have one now on some uh, con artist who's uh, some some healer person who Oprah had on and uh oprah elevated this guy and now and i I saw it on my feed today i was very excited to read it after or to listen to it rather after this podcast after we're done with our podcast but it was uh essentially another one of those things where some person who Oprah had on snuck through the net and became a bullshit artist she's had a bunch of those on you remember there's that one guy who wrote a book it turned out he yeah, yeah, m- yeah, yeah. made up everything that was in the book and Dr Oz is he they brought him before congress cuz he was he had some miracle cure that literally like melts fat off your body and they're like is this a miracle cure he's like no it's not like what the right. fuck? How the fuck are you still on TV? Well, because what's he doing? You know what he is? You know, he's a, he's a religious figure, right? You know what he I is? Mean, he's, he's Oprah's hoe. Oprah's out there. No, 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 no. My hoe's out there working. I'm going to keep him out there making that money.
1: Well, this maybe it's. And this is the flip side of kindness, though, right? I mean, we yeah. keep going in this Inception Circle, right? But like, there's this Carl Sagan, I think it's Carl Sagan line where he says, you want to be open minded, but not so open minded your brain falls yes, out, right? Yeah. And it's like, you also want to be kind, but not. So kind that you become a kind of laundering factory for people like
0: Dr. Us. Right. Right. right.
1: Um, and that, you know, and that's, I don't know. Oprah I just think, wants people to be happy. Right. You know, yeah. so, so she's, I've,
0: I've encountered a few of those people too, man, over the years of doing this podcast is a few people that I've had on that turned out to be full of shit. It's hard because you you and particularly in the beginning, I really didn't vet them at all. Like someone would tell me, "Oh, this guy's great," you should talk to him. Then I talk to him, then in the conversation, I'd be like, "Hey, is what you're saying true?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then I, you know, it just took a while for me to understand. You got something there.
2: He was on the secret.
0: Oh, There's one of those one of motherfuckers. The, one of the narrative. The one secret of those motherfuckers. The secret. That's the ultimate of horse shit, bullshit. I mean, you What you they don't want to, you to know. You talk to actual physicists about that and they Be just serious. go People actually study quantum mechanics yeah. and you know like the really complicated underlying mechanism of the fucking universe itself and then you see these quacks out there selling horseshit and and then when you find out that the secret was actually well, not the secret. That's what the bleep. What the bleep was actually run by that person who claimed to be channeling some fucking thousand-year-old alien or some shit. You know that lady. You <laughs> no, know that. Do you I know don't. that? I don't. Do you remember what wanna, the bleep? What was it? I like want to write it down. Is yeah. The, was this really? There's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's, it's, there's a name to she. Oh my God. She goes on and talks. She's like this uh, middle-aged woman who's kind of heavy, and she's uh, talking in this weird. She has this crazy wor- name. Like, what is this lady's name? Like what? What kind of name is that? And it turns out that's not her name. That is who she's channeling, and they don't tell you this on the uh, when you're watching What the Bleep. But she's channeling some fucking thousand-year-old entity.
1: But, but here, wait. Here I am. Look, look. Now I'm just like I just need you to like make me feel hopeful. I feel like this is what I like came here to talk to you about or something. Like, I just. You really think in the end, like it comes back to bite you in the ass. That feels like a very sort of redemptive vision. But it's like here we have a laundry list. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on and on about charlatans who have risen to the Mm. very highest levels of power. Yeah. And I feel like I'd like to believe that every day they like cry into their pillows at night and their like soul husks are going to be, you know,
0: shown what they truly are. But I would rather concentrate on good people. Yeah. concentrate on the bad people that that succeed financially i'd rather concentrate on good people because i think there's plenty of them there's plenty of really interesting fascinating people that have a great message you're saying going, it works too you don't have yeah. you're saying you can be kind yeah, yeah. and that'll work yeah, yeah there's yeah, a yeah. lot of them out there man there's a lot of like really motivating fascinating people that are that are they they've lived a life of of value and they can relay that information to you and there's there's like real lessons that you can take out of that that can enhance your own life. I, I think those people are real. They're, they're out there. Yeah. You can concentrate on the bullshit artist, that asshole down in Florida selling people wheatgrass. And, but you don't have to, though. I mean, I, I, I hate that they're real. I hate that they exist. Right. But in some ways, what they do is like they, they make it so that you really appreciate kind people and you really appreciate real people. You know, the, the, the assholes and the deceptive people that you run into in this life, they're just going to make you appreciate the exceptional people. God, I, I mean, I, you gotta I have rainy days, bro. Yeah, yeah. Rainy yeah. days make you appreciate the sun. <laughs> you do.
1: Yeah, the sun. they the, like crazy. Doctor Oz makes you appreciate yeah. real doctors. Uh, Doctor Oz
0: <laughs> makes you appreciate real, 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 real doctors, real physicians, real, real, real people who are actually trying to help people. It's just crazy. Like, I, and maybe I, I mean, he's trying to help people. He is.
1: That's the thing. Like, there was a. So we were in. I was in div school. So I went to. I went to like. So in divinity school, although it's it sounds like I'm gonna be a priest, but like I was like it's a secular. It was the University of Chicago, so it's a secular university we were early early students in div school and we were mocking this guy Joel Austin. I don't know if you oh, know yeah, him oh yeah okay. sure so we're like, that's the
0: guy with the gigantic <laughs> r- arena yes that he fills up yes he has so, his mean, own jet and a mansion oh, oh my god you know
1: this guy right and we're just like oh Joel Austin, like can't believe that that like people think that's Christianity you know we're going yeah. off right and, and one of my friends sitting there and usually he'd be talking he was quiet the whole time he says he, he finally speaks up he says you know what I get what you all are saying. I get what you all are saying about Joel Osteen, but when I was in high school, my parents neglected me. Like he, was, he, he had like a terrible, terrible childhood. They didn't care about his education. He was dirt poor. And he was like, I watched Joel Osteen and Joel Osteen told me that God wanted me to make more of myself and it, and it helped me. And we're all sitting there looking at each other and we and I didn't even know my brain exploded. Right. Because here's this guy who's just obviously a charlatan, like a like for me, a terrible person. And here's my friend being like, hey, you're you're laying into a guy who, you know, and he realizes right in retrospect mm-hmm. what was going on. But he was also like, you know, he gave me something important. And, and, and I. I didn't even, I didn't even know, what, I didn't know what to do with that. It's happened with diet gurus I've laid into. This guy, David Perlmutter, who wrote this book, Grain Brain, and stuff like that. Like, I went back through his history, and I found out that he used to promise everything was a miracle cure. He started with this, his self-published book called, like, I don't know, like brainsaving.com or something. And back then, he had a totally different line on it. He was like, you need to eat only lean meat and I've cured all these people of ALS. And then it became, you need to eat saturated fat and I've cured these people of ALS. And I wrote this hit piece on him. I was like, this guy is a horrible human being and I'm gonna show you who he is. I'm gonna trace his charlatanry all the way back to the beginning. And there were all these people that were like, I read David Perlmutter's books and they got me eating healthy again. Cause he does advocate, you know, like an alternative to junk mm. food. That's So he, his charisma, right? These people have charisma and that charisma can give people hope and meaning even if it's,
0: like, fake energy healing. Mm-hmm. Oof, people are so weird. We're so complicated. We are so, we're so, we're so complicated. <laughs> Natural. We're unnatural animals, right? We're yeah. unnatural Listen, animals. Listen, man, we've been talking for three and a half hours. What? Yeah, it's 3.30. Can you believe it?
1: I can't believe it. There's really? There's a
0: fucking time warp in this room, man. It's very strange. We, it happens I all wanna... the time.
1: I, I, yeah. Humans are weird. I really, I mean, I don't know. I think that, I don't know. I think that last, I, I think that's maybe what I really care about is just,
0: just, there's so much, right? There's so much to pay attention to. There's so many people who just in this country alone, there's 320 million people. Yeah. And a lot of them are talking publicly. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot out there, but there's a lot of good out there too. The The key is to just concentrate on the good, you know, and, and just be the best that you could be. That's the key. Just be the nicest you could be. Be the kindest you could be. Be the most honest you could be. And you're gonna fuck up. There's no way around it. You're just you're a person. And if you fuck up, you can't be too hard on yourself. You can't judge yourself on failures. You gotta you gotta recognize that you are the person who's learned from those failures. You're 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 a, you're not defined by mistakes. You know, and that's a lot of a lot of what people do. They get they define themselves by mistakes, and then they also judge other people by their mistakes. And they decide that this one moment in time that this person said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing or made a mistake or was incorrect about something that defines them forever. You know, and th- all these people that you could find good things in, whether it's Joel Olstein or Doctor Oz or what are these people like? It just there's just a, there's a, a, a lesson in data that comes from them. About just how weirdly complicated human beings are and how wildly we, we, we vary.
1: That's it. That's the, that's, I just, it's funny because, you know, I think we're, we're comfortable with that. But a lot of times people aren't comfortable with complexity.
0: No. They like to define people. Yeah. They want to make things very binary. They want to make people good or bad, right or left, one or zero. Right. And that's not – the world's messy. It's like it's a human problem. It's like we were talking about with abortion. or There's a a lot of human problems. That's a human problem. And uh, I think it's hard to be comfortable with yourself. So it's very hard to be comfortable with other people. That's why I always stress with people, like, you've got to – accept yourself for what you've done wrong. Do your best and also find some difficult shit to do because that gets away a lot of the anxiety that you carry around in your body. A lot of like difficult things make regular life less difficult and that sounds so simplistic, but particularly physically difficult things because when you do things that are physically difficult, the strain of making yourself do those things It's very valuable. It's not just valuable like exercise and fitness and martial arts and running and whatever you're doing that's really difficult. It's not just valuable in terms of like health and the way you look, but it's also valuable for your mind, maybe even more so. Because regular life can be confusing and little things that go wrong and little problems that arise are exacerbated by the fact that you're not accustomed to dealing with hardship. So creating your own bullshit, whether it's through – Fucking, some brutal kettlebell exercise or running up hills or something is extremely valuable for you also not not just accepting the nuanced perspectives of other people but also being able to navigate through this world with some sort of an understanding of just how complex it all is and how weird it all is and and, and not be overly thrown off by every little dip in the road and pothole that you encounter focus on the good focus on, focus the, good. on, the, focus good. on the good focus on the
1: good people and hope that yeah. and, and have
0: faith i guess that, yeah. that, that that that'll work know that there are bad people but you know just do your best do your best and in, in, you know and don't get suckered there's a lot of suckers and out tell there. the truth even if you yeah. feel like it's going to sell yeah. more books to lie yes yes <laughs> or you know not if it's an old lady and you look great say that <laughs> say that to her i don't know be nice, right? <laughs> Choose kindness over truth if you have to. Um, tell your your book one more time. Natural. Uh, Hold it up so people can see it. Where do I? Where am I holding it towards? This camera right here. Yeah. It's a uh,
1: natural how faith in nature's goodness leads to harmful fads, unjust laws, and flawed science. But you know now that that's just a publicity ploy. And it's really very nuanced.
0: fuckers with their <laughs> titles and um, your your Instagram or your um, you Twitter. Instagram, Twitter. I have Twitter, Twitter. at Alan Levinovitz.
1: And also, there's I mean, we got uh, an episode of the Shift podcast up on on Apple iTunes, and if you search like Shift Alan on Spotify, there's we've got
0: like the first episode up there. Beautiful. Um, be cool all right alan thank you i really enjoyed this I thank you did very too. much thank fun. you thanks bye everybody yay three and a half hours
1: Jesus, that is great